0: we know howdy not a lot howdy howdy just uh man i've been slaving today it's uh been busy
1: good busy making money or just busy
0: (laughs) somebody's making money
1: (laughs) i don't this is why it was always nice when kelly and i just kept everything separate because i just didn't have to look at that side it's just it's like nope (laughs) exactly oh how you been brother
0: good good uh i've been to the mountains a, finally a little bit here and uh that's good
1: nice how many cameras you get out
0: i've got two four i've only got four of them out i'm gonna go out again this weekend after my uh high school reunion and put out some more and then i got another trip to put out some more it's kind of late but G whiz the damn uh Snow has and blowdowns have kept kept us out of the high country. Our snow just stayed forever. Uh, I got a ton of late, late, early spring snow. And then, like, blowdown city, like massive amounts of blowdowns everywhere. So,
1: yeah, blowdowns suck. But I mean, you guys have been holding on to your snow this long. Oh, yeah, yeah. We,
0: the, uh, the Bitterroot Mountains here, we keep, we hold snow longer than anywhere. And, lower 48 i think
1: so have have you been not i mean i i don't watch freaking tv so i don't know how far this heat wave is except have you been guys been getting hit with this massive heat wave or is it just us down south and midwest we've been getting a lot of heat too but so it's just finally catching up
0: yeah on the fourth of july which you can typically get about everywhere in the mountains here um there were still some places that had too much snow um you know, and these yeah. aren't high altitude. North no, Idaho, right. yes. It,
1: it, the
0: The highest peak in North Idaho is not even well. It might be seven thousand feet.
1: I was gonna say probably mid sixes. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Most of it's mid sixes. So crazy.
0: Uh, just, we have such a uh, it's steep terrain. We have uh, big trees, big hemlock grove forests on north face slopes, and the, <laughs> the roads usually go through there. And you just they just you can't go. But.
1: Yeah. It just, it just holds on to that stuff. Yeah. So how, how much were you guys well above your normal snowpack then for the year, or did you just come late?
0: Yeah. Yeah. It was, we were doing pretty good at the first part of the winter and then it just nothing happened. And then late we had a ton of like spring rain, um, which brought more snow and then all that spring rain just kind of kept a lot of cold weather here like in April and May when we typically get you know 80 degree days we didn't get those so that snow just held on
1: Hmm. interesting interesting well then I mean it should be good for forage you know all your cool season grasses and everything should be looking really good this this you know upcoming fall then
0: yeah yeah I have kind of a theory um we have huckleberries I don't know if you guys have got huckleberries
1: there but We don't have them, but I know what you're talking about.
0: Yeah. So, and this is just purely confirmation bias. Um, (laughs) When it's the year of the huckleberry, I I always say the elk don't bugle where the shit. Okay. And and my thoughts behind it are, uh, is that there's so, there's been so much water. The the huckleberries are big on good water years, good rain years, whatever, good snow years, uh, that there's good feed everywhere. And elk just don't concentrate like they normally do. So Scatter. who the hell knows where they're going to be. They're hard to find a lot of times, especially when you have low elk densities like we do. Yep. Um, on years that it's drier, as you know, they kind of congregate around the food. Um, and you may have to go longer distances to find any elk. But once you find a bowl, there's probably six of them there.
1: And and there's competition and, and there's and they, competition. Yeah. They've got to, they've got to talk, they got to show off, they got to try to attract the ladies and they, they've yeah. got to try to make their case on why the girls need to choose them. And so, yeah, you probably find some more vocal animals.
0: Yeah. And a lot of times they're pretty callable, you know, as long as nobody's been messing with them too bad, you know, they're pretty, you know, they're a little bit ornery feeling and they've already been antagonized by all the other bulls. So they're like, all right, yeah, I'll fight.
1: Well, here's the question then. So I'm, so I'm, I'm gathering by that, that this is the year of the huckleberry.
0: (laughs) Man, it's kind of looking like it. I've been, well, all the huckleberries I've been seeing have been green as can be. So in September, they'll be ripe. Bears are going to love that, but, um, lower elevations, everybody, you know, there's tons of, tons of huckleberries. So yeah, it's going to be one of those years. I feel
1: just where they're scattered. And if I remember you said correctly, you have two tags up there this year, you've got an archery and then you said a rifle.
0: I'm gonna to try to get a rifle tag. Um they all the unsold non-resident tags, they'll put them up for sale at the non-resident price to where you can buy a second tag. So I'm gonna to try to pick up a second tag uh and kind of see where that goes. But
1: all right. Well, okay, then how about we do this? Let me let's hit pause a minute. Let me uh or not physically, but literally or figuratively hit pause. Let me do the introduction. Okay. Um, how much time do you have to chat tonight? I got a while. Okay, because I you just touched on something that I might this was not planned. Right. But it might be a, a curious a little aside. Yeah. All right, so uh hey everybody, welcome to Row Hunting Resources Podcast. All right. It is Tuesday, July twenty sixth. I know it's not like Sunday at eleven PM <laughs> where I'm when I'm recording this. I'm actually ahead of the curve. I am here with the 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 Dirk Durham, the Dirk Durgler, the Bugler. Um, yeah eight o'clock my time seven o'clock his time we're gonna sit down and we're gonna chew the fat a little bit Um, I've got plenty to chew on (laughs) Um, cool man well thanks A thanks for coming back on I mean we we didn't talk too long ago Um, real quick how has the reception been for the easy sucker it's been phenomenal (laughs) you guys did okay so I talked about this a little bit too. You know, I'm not normally, this, this is my fault. I'm not a great business guy. I'm, I I suck at, at promoting myself. I suck at promoting things. I, I can promote other people. No problem. But normally I'm not, you know, just a sales guy. You know what I mean? So y- you saw the reels that I did. If I was going to do a bunch of reels and I'm going to explain things, I'm going to dive in. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, we're going to find the meat and potatoes and we're going to, we're going to cut out the gristle and we're going to, we're going to get in there a little bit. Yeah. Um, but you guys did a. I, I will give credit where credit is due. And if it was you, kudos to you. If it was Jason, doubtful. If it was Jason, then you know what. Whoever came up with the idea of doing the all-out blitz, um, I think that was smart from a marketing standpoint. It was. It was very smart, and I think you guys did a very good job at it. I think you organized it well. Um, sure, everybody, you know. There's people who are like, oh, my gosh, you can see that that was orchestrated. Well, duh. (laughs) Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, it's, of course it is. (laughs) It is. But you've got a new call. You want to sell new calls. You want to get something out there. And quite honestly, it was new. It's not like you said, you know, ooh, ah, we have a new mouth diaphragm that has a different tape color and a different latex color. Oh, by the way, it's identical to the other ones we did. We just changed the color of the tape. No. This is, this was fundamentally different. It was fundamentally new. And I think it deserved a a plug like that. So you guys did a great job. So kudos on that. Um, But yeah, yeah, so talk me through, what's the feedback been so far?
0: It's been fantastic. We get videos on the daily of somebody letting their four-year-old use it. And they can do it. I mean, anybody can do it. Nice. And what's weird is like, there's a difference in people's uh, jaw articulation and geometry, I think. And the way they bring air across the call, some people have been putting, turning it upside down. They'll try to do it like it's designed, and they're like, "Yeah, this thing sucks." They flip it over, and they're like, "Oh, there we go, makes the makes the sound perfectly." Um, so I feel like it's not like just to push a button and make it go. There is a little bit and some nuance to it. Change out the little voices with the different reads for the yep. different. Depend on how you do it. But uh, overall, it's been ridiculously uh, successful. Uh, in fact, we're like, man, I think we better cut another PO for more of them because I think we're going to sell out.
1: That I was going to be my next question is whether or not you guys were going to have enough from a supply chain issue. Are you going to be able to meet the, meet the demand? Because I know that you, you rolled out with a fairly sizable initial production line from what you said before. Yeah. So are you, Yeah, that makes sense. And, and here's the other thing too, given the fact that at least the body, the silicone, it's not going to go bad. So yeah, do another P do another purchase order, get a whole bunch in. If you don't sell that second round, you'll have that, the, the, the cassette and the body for next year, even if you don't want to have, you know, excuse me, the latex reads laying around, you know? So, right. Yeah, that and makes have, sense.
0: And you have to think, you know, uh, just because elk season's over, doesn't mean we're not continuing to like have people, order calls yeah um, Christmas
1: gifts but yeah
0: yeah and we like to release our films in the dead of winter when people have time to watch and they get to watch elk you know, films and they're like gee whiz I'm gonna buy some of that stuff and, and you know you know five six years ago you know you couldn't sell an elk call in the dead of winter nowadays people are buying them they're serious they want to they want to learn how to do it
1: yeah uh, and and that's one thing that I've I've re- probably um, failed on it. number of people it used to be where the educational stuff used to be seasonal, where it was, you know, the summer, summer would ramp up and we get all of our memberships and all of our subscribers in the summer. And everybody was just in all a blitz, man, the number of people now that are just like, nope, uh, they, you know, they're signing up for the annual or they're signing up in the dead of winter. Cause they want to, they they're just jonesing for it. And they just want to dive back into it and, and pick it apart. So no, you're right. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. Well, good, good. I'm glad it, I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm very glad that it did. Um, and per our uh, previous uh discussion. Hold on. So when we talked last, we were talking about the, the website, you, you talked about the fact that, you know, Meat Eater now kind of has, is basically the, the hub of where, you know, you all have, still have your individual websites, but meat eaters just kind of acting as the hub and shipping, you know, coordinating some of the shipping stuff. And we had talked about figuring out mouth diaphragms. And we talked about your little widget that's on your website. Now that little filter that you can go through uh-huh. and figure out your mouth diaphragm. So I did, I went through it and I just recorded it earlier. I went right down through it. And so I'm going to, I'll, when we were done here or maybe later I'll find out, but I'd be curious of what calls you have in stock because, you know, pitch black for me, that little bit, depending on how I went through the little thing, pitch black number three came up like repeatedly. Um, all the signature series ones came up repeatedly. The beast came up a couple of different times. Oh, wow. And then some of the flat reads, you know, some of them ones I have not I've not played with, like Herd Wrecker, Elk Commander, Signature Bull, Monster. I've obviously played with the tag notcher. or obviously played with the dragon slayer and some of the other ones. So I'll, I'll get with you guys and see which ones you guys have and uh, I'll make an order and, and we'll, we'll test those calls out and see how they do uh, just oops, from I think
0: the right now. We're doing pretty good. We're pretty good shape on diaphragms. Uh, okay. The closer we get to September one, We may start running on fumes, but
1: yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. No, I, so I figured I might want to normally, you know, I'm already, I'm, I'm like, Hey, I'm leaving tomorrow. Hey, can you get me some? Yeah. (laughs) It's just like dumbass. Um, yeah, it is what it is, but no, I'm going to try to stay ahead of the, the curve, but, uh, yeah, I'll put together an order and, uh, test out some just new ones that I haven't played with, you know? Yeah.
0: Cool. My wife just put uh 2000, uh, green amp diaphragms in a box getting ready to ship them out tomorrow 2000 um, yeah she just built 2000 of them um and shipping those off and that's probably not even gonna put a dent in what we need so
1: who's geez oh Pete, man 2000 okay so when I was younger I used to tie flies for fly fishing and so the hometown that I grew up in had a, I mean, there was a lot of cold water streams around and there was trout streams. And that's where I just, I, I just, that's where I lived on the trout stream with the fly rod in my hand. And all of a sudden uh, a store opened up in town. It was a little Orvis shop. And so of course me, I'm just, I I just shoot me in the head. I was done. I, that's all I wanted to do. Just go around and just Google at all the, you know, Orvis stuff. And I finally ended up picking some stuff up and, and long story short, when they opened the shop and I have no idea who they talk to. Okay. So I'm in high school. All right. Like I'm a junior in high school. I tied my own flies and I got pretty darn good at it. I'm dead serious. Like I said, I don't know who they talk to, but all of a sudden I get this phone call. And you remember back in the day, you we're talking about the phone that's on the side of the, on the wall. Oh where yeah has the 12 foot long curly cord (laughs) where you just walk the whole thing through the house, dragging the, you know, so the phone rings. I don't remember who answered, but anyway, I get on the other line. It's the owner of the shop and they're talking about, you know, they heard all sorts of great things about me. And then, you know, that I'm the guy, the go-to guy that knows all the streams and blah, blah, blah stuff around there. And then I tied and I'm like, yep, yep, yep. And they're like, well, we, you know, we would really like to work with some locals that know what, what, the area is and, and what flies are it. Can can we work with you and, and have you, you know, maybe make some some flies for us? I'm like, hell yeah. Okay. So I'm a junior in high school. Here's an Orvis shop calling me. I don't know how they got my number. I don't know how they found out about me, but they call they called me and they're like, We want to work with you. And I'm like, holy hell. And I'm like, yeah, I've made I've, it. yeah, I right. And so I'm like, hell yeah, I want to do this. And they're like, All right. So um, well. Then, you know, what are the, and, and I don't remember what the top flies were that I was using. Obviously caddis, you know, and all sorts of other stuff, but all I remember was, uh, the person on the other, they were like, all right, so, well, we would like to order a hundred dozen of these, a hundred dozen of these. And I did, I did, I, same reaction. <laughs> I was like, a hundred dozen. So I remember one of the rem- ones that I remember is just a little, uh, a little sulfur, uh, dry fly about the size 18. I'm like a hundred dozen. Is that, is, is that going to be okay? I'm like, and I remember saying this, just the dead air on the other side. I was like, I'm a junior in high school. I it, was just, it was just it was just quiet. It was just crickets on the other end. <laughs> it was and they're like, Oh, <laughs> oh, um, okay. Well, um, how well
2: <laughs> oh,
1: I said, so they're like, Well, how do you I mean, how many do you think I can get? I said, Well, I tell you what, how about I start like 10 dozen each? And then we'll go from there. They're like, oh, that'd be great. And so I did. Yeah, It's one thing to sit down at a fly tying vice and make your set, your, you're getting ready to go fishing and you're going to tie up some, you know, nymphs, you're going to tie up some dry flies or whatever, or you want to sit at the, that's all I did. I got, I got, went fishing. It got dark. If I didn't have any homework, I went in the basement, my little bench, and I just sat there and tied flies all night. Cause that's what I love doing. Right. It's one thing when you're doing your own and you're doing a handful every night. It's another thing when you sit down and you're like, I have to come up with 20 dozen of these, like these, the same one over and over and over again. I, I remember my back killing me. I remember my eyes and just strap like, Oh, this sucks. Just sitting, just sitting there doing the repet, the repet, repet, repetitive. That's the word. I'm like repetition, no repetitive, just over and over and over and over. 2000 2000 green amps.
0: Yeah. And that's, I don't know what that's like a, a week and a half work. How long it takes? About a week and a half. So she's building constantly, right? Uh, not to mention our other people that build.
1: Yeah. So, um, so do you have, so is she on a, a pretty, I mean, do you two work together on a on a good, you know, massage therapy program where where you're back there just kind of just you know, <laughs> the 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 cold towel around the the forehead and and massage on the shoulders? You can do it, honey. Just another t- n- just another hundred tonight. You can do it. Let's go. <laughs> he's over here looking at me like, um,
0: yeah, you know, let so
2: set you for up for help. failure. Yeah, <laughs>
1: he's like, I'm kind <laughs> of liking this them. idea now. I'm I'm gonna sweeten the pot here a little bit. <laughs> Every 10 calls gets you, you know, two more, <laughs> two, two more sausages. Oh, good. Oh, good. All right. Well, then let me, then before I dive into what I wanted to talk about, then yeah. let's, let me, let's just touch on what you just said a minute ago. Idaho. Yeah. Left, leftover non-resident tags. Now I had a conversation, we had a podcast with um, Rob Petuto. Uh, up there. And he kind of went over the, the Idaho draw kind of situation. Go through that. Cause everybody talks about, you know, Idaho selling out quote unquote, selling out of non-resident tags, just like, bang. but that's not the case then there's still leftovers. So by August
0: 1st. So when they first open it up like December 15th or whatever the day is, December 1st, maybe not sure exactly what day they open it up um you basically get, go online and you get a in a virtual waiting list it's almost like buying concert tickets if you've ever done that mm-hmm. you get this virtual waiting list i don't care if you have been sitting there pushing refresh for an hour before they go on you you're it's a random they give you a random number so kind of like a drawing um you you get a random number it's like oh i'm number 83 or maybe i'm 8,083 80, or whatever. I mean, there's, there's all these people waiting in this virtual line. So the ones that get in early, the early numbers, they get the good tags, you know, that they're, that, that are wanted. And then there's these other units that are kind of left over and people hunt and pick through those until they're pretty much all gone. Um, okay. So then that's in December. Well, you know, a lot of, a lot happens between August 1st and December. Um, you know, gas prices. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, fam- people have family tragedies, but I mean, what you name it, there's, there's a litany of, uh, different things that could make a person turn their tag back in.
1: Gotcha. Okay. So they can turn
0: their tag back in and then those tags go on sale again. So, gotcha. Gotcha. Um, okay. okay. so they're, they, every so often they renew the, they do refresh the website and there, there's these non-resident tags for sale and, um, Right now, the non-residents can get on there and pick through them and see if there's something they want. Um, I think it's on August 1st. I'd, I'd have to look again. But um, they go on sale for residents. So if there if there's any leftover non-resident tags by August 1st, residents have a crack at it. We can go pick up a non-resident tag for non-resident price as a second up tag.
1: For, for that particular unit? For
0: a certain unit, which if yeah, there's okay. any left. you know. Okay um you know and sometimes there's nothing and then sometimes there's some something so sure. um yeah so okay. i'm crossing That's my fingers good. hoping to pick up a rifle tag and uh maybe go hunt some new country um kind of scout it while i hunt if you will
1: yeah um, right right so. okay okay that makes, okay that makes sense i was i was like all right what are are they selling our okay no that makes sense all right well that was it that was a shorter conversation good yeah all right well I sent you a text on the kind of the premise of the discussion. Um, and I set up, so I've had a conversation with Jay Scott, Jay Scott Outdoors. Um, everybody knows we're friends, you know, he and I are friends, been friends for a long time. We have a very, very similar mindset and philosophy. And and the, the joke that I kind of made, and it, it's funny, and it was, I, I laughed probably a little too hard when I said it because it was just there's been some of my commentary and some of my engagement lately on some sportsman's issues that have ruffled some other people's feathers. And I'm like, well, I don't care. You know, if you, if, if you don't like what I'm saying, are you, are you, you can come on and, and discuss the topic or is it just, you just didn't like what I said. And you have anyway. So I, I joked, I said, if somebody comes up and just cracks me in the jaw, it breaks my jaw like three different places. And I've got to have my jaw wired shut and I still want to go elk hunting and I can't call at all, who would be the people I would have no problem following around the mountain with and having them do the calling for me? It, if I have a functioning, if anything's even remotely functioning, I'm the guy that's doing the calling. You know what I mean? That's just how it is because that's what I love doing. But if I couldn't, who would it be? It would be Jay, Steve Chapel, and you. Now, the issue, not the issue, not an issue, but the interesting thing about that for me was I thought, you know, what I know and what I've seen of you, Jay, well, Jay and I have, I mean, almost identical calling philosophy. Steve Chappell and I have probably 80% overlap on our calling philosophy. Now, he's gotten into a little bit more bugling strategies. Um, and I'm going to have a conversation with him coming up. He's just out of town on vacation. So when he gets back from vacation, we're going to sit down and, and do this exact same conversation. Um, but he's kind of gotten more into some more bugling strategies and, and finding some success with it. But there's no, I mean, it's not a secret. You and I generally have a different calling philosophy. Now you do a lot of cow calling, um, but you do like to lean heavy on the bugling strategies. That's just what you've said in the past You that you've enjoyed, but you find success in it. So what I kind of wanted to do was let's, let's dissect that a little bit. Um, how did you come up given now? Let me, let me phrase this. Like all of us, we started off when we were young, not all of us, many of us, we started off as younger men, got in, you know, or maybe even kids got into elk hunting, elk calling. Maybe what we did back then is not what we're doing now. We've grown, we've learned, we've, we've gotten a little bit wiser. Um, You've had the opportunity to hunt Idaho all over the freaking place. Okay. My experience is Arizona, New Mexico, Colorado, and Wyoming. Though I, I did a little bit in Washington state, but that was all late season stuff. So eh, I don't kind of, and same thing with um, that doesn't matter. Arizona, New Mexico, Colorado, and Wyoming. That's, that's my experience. That's, that's the States that I have haunted. And that's where my experience set is you've been what Idaho, Washington, Colorado, no Washington, no Washington.
0: Let's see. Uh, Idaho, Oregon, Montana, Oregon. Okay. Um, New Mexico, Colorado.
1: Okay. So you've been, yeah, you've been all over the place too. So, um, let's start with where, when did you start calling? When, you know, I'm guessing you started where, Uh, let's just start where, what's kind of your origin story for when you started elk hunting and elk calling and, and why you developed kind of the, the calling strategies that you kind of settled on and let's just kind of dice, just pick that apart across, you know, the different states, different habitats, different Elk that you've been able to chase. How did you get to you know where you are today? As far as why you choose what to do and, and when to do it. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, yeah. So, so when did you start? So I was 15 years old, and i i went I went bear hunting. I was sitting by this pond, right. Had my dad drop me off. I was 14 at the time. Dropped me off an hour before daylight. I walked about a mile in the dark down this old logging road and set by a pond because I've been seeing bear tracks and I'm like, well, maybe a bear will come it and it'd been hot. You know, it was September 1st and it'd been hot. I'm like, that bear is going to come get a drink first thing in the morning and I'm going to shoot him. So I go and I sit down by this big ponderosa pine and, and I got my seven mag and I'm, I'm ready to, ready to go. And I'm sitting there and the sun comes up and the birds start tweeting and man, it just, they, they, just your quintessential September morning, just beautiful, crisp. And uh, the sun comes up and it'd been up for about an hour. And I start hearing a bunch bunch of rustling in the brush. I'm like, okay, here we go. Here comes that bear. I slowly ease my rifle up on my knee, a little closer, get it up, up in my shoulder and I'm getting ready. And uh, I'll be damned if it wasn't a bear that came out of the uh, brush, but it was an elk actually um like four elk and there was like a cow a yearling and a calf and a raghorn bull and i'm like holy cow it's elk so put the gun down i'm like i'm just gonna watch so they come out go walk over in the middle of the pond drink and they splash around play around a little bit there was no bugling at all and all i can think of is man today is opening day of bow season and I don't even have a bow that has arrows. I don't, I've never bow hunted before, but that freaking elk is under 20 yards. I could just, Oh, he's shoot. right there. He's right there. Yeah. I could just shoot that thing. And they didn't pay no attention to me at all. So they mill around, drink and fart around. And then they kind of walk off and I'm like, I couldn't, I couldn't stand it. I was, I was, Oh, oh my God. So of course my brain just like making all these plans. Okay. All right. As soon as my dad comes and picks me up, I'm gonna make him take me to town, and we're gonna buy arrows with broadheads, and yeah I'm gonna. And I did have a, a recurve bow at the time, uh, which I had these. <laughs> it, the arrows I had were consisted of like, oh, here's an old cedar arrow, and here's like an aluminum shaft I found. I had about three different arrows. One of the aluminum shafts had a homemade field point my dad had made. He took a piece of. A round steel rod and ground it down until it would fit inside the end of it, and we glued it in with the epoxy. I mean, this is what my air yeah, was
1: right, right. How old 10. are you at the time? <laughs> Fourteen. Oh, Fourteen. So yeah, so yeah. Keep going. So no, I mean, dude, shooting. it's it's similar, man. Keep going. <laughs> but I've been shooting shitty ass
0: recurve bows since I was. Ten probably. You yeah, but
1: else, but, right. you, but you're plinking. You're just you're, you're 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 you're. What does Ted Nugent say? You're you're watching the mythical flight of the arrow. You're just pulling right. back and watching it. Yeah. Just like yes, this is awesome. Yeah,
0: trying to shoot robins, you know. And, <laughs> and I never did kill a robin <laughs> with a bow. Uh, so I didn't even have. I didn't even own a, a target. Let's just yeah. let's put it this way. So my dad shows up, and I'm like, oh, hey, we got to go to town and this and that. And, you know, I start telling him all about it and. I, why and about the elk. And, and he's like, yeah, we're not doing that. I'm like, <laughs> no, no, we, we just got totally to this. drive. You know, we're going to buy these arrows. And he's like, well, you don't have any money. I said, well, I'll borrow it from you. He's like, no, I he's in at the time he was like them damn bow hunters. You know, yeah. there was, you know, there's he's one of those guys, them damn oh, bow yeah. hunters. You can't kill an elk with a bow. And I'm like, you can, people do it all the time. And he's like, no, damn bow hunters, you know, you can't kill enough with a bow. You don't have any money. No, nope, no. Nope. I was so mad. I was, I was just, I was crushed. Well, luckily it was, you know, bear season still. <laughs> so of course I never did kill a bear. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I kept hunting. I'd go see giant bucks. I'm just like, oh my God. I'd, I'd see big giant white bucks and giant mule deer bucks. And this was in Idaho's deer heyday, right? And I'm just like, oh man. If I had a bow, I could probably sneak over there and shoot one or go set up along the fence row and whack one, you know, or whatever tree stand it didn't have a bow. So I'm like, I'm, I'm making money. I'm going to save money and I'm going to buy a bow. So the next summer I turned 15 and I worked for farmers all summer putting up hay, just (laughs) sweated myself to death, uh, making money. And I made enough money to buy a uh, brand new compound bow, all the arrows, all the, bra- all the, all the gear, some camouflage clothes. And my, I blew my whole wad, summer's wad on, on elk hunting stuff and some calls. And my dad's like, wow, I can see that you're pretty serious about this. Yeah. I'll tell you what, if you kill a bull elk with the bow, I'll, I'll, I'll re- reimburse you. You know, he's thinking it's a pretty safe bet. Well, I, as soon as I got calls, man, I, pr- I was practicing constantly. We'd be out cutting firewood, and when he's running the saw, I'd be blowing out calls. In f- All
1: in right, fact, now, now hold on a minute. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you go. But who was your initial early influence? Who were what? Who were you? Was it Larry Jones? Larry D. Jones? Was it Dwight Shue? Was it Will Primos? Was it Carlton? Who who were? Was it Rocky Jacob? Who are you? At that time, because that's the thing, was a lot of people. I mean, we're not that old, but we're old enough. There was no internet. There was no. no. I mean, hell, there was there was just barely this thing called VHS tapes that you know you could you could go buy a movie. So most of the time, you're going to a seminar, you know, listening to somebody or in person, or you might have gotten you know found a, a DVD, a VHS cassette of somebody talking about there. So who? Who kind of was your first entry level influence back in the day?
0: Well, I had this teacher at school who had seven hours of tapes, that <laughs> VHS tapes, yep. all combined onto one master tape. So he'd rented movies, yep. dual VCRs, played, <laughs> yeah. recorded, and exactly. they had this seven hours of like different videos. And, you know, it, there was Larry D. Jones and Dwight Hsu and uh, some guy named uh mcclendon or something that she hunted in john Arizona. mcclendon yep john yeah. mcclendon yep hunting the the white white mountain indian reservation or whatever probably yep and uh anyway and there was this you know Glen Berry and you know um so i watched all these things and and then i read the book uh dwight she wrote a book about calling elk i don't remember exactly what it was called but i read that book and it was a good book it kind of explained and it's funny to the Today, the ta- the tactics we talk about today is no different than what they talked about in 1989 and before. Correct, Hope like, Correct. have been doing the same thing and we've been doing the same thing. So it's nothing nothing really
1: new. I mean, think about turkey hunting. I yeah. mean, you, you go back to, I mean, back way, way, way back to the, the original turkey hunters that were, you know, that were out there just pioneering some of this stuff. It's the same damn thing that we're doing today. I mean, it's just yeah. like you sit, sit up against a tree or a rock or whatever and you call. <laughs> so there you go. Yeah. I mean, we can play with the nuance of what we're going to say and how we're going to say it. We're going to, we we've got different decoys. We've got all sorts of other stuff, but the fundamentals, they haven't changed a that. No, no. It, yeah. Hangups, you know, Hey, I always talk
0: about hangups, you know, and yeah. talking about, you know, Larry, uh, Dwight shoes book and I'm like textbook. He's like, it's never a textbook case. So, you know, maybe every now, then, but hardly ever. It's never just a textbook. This is what the textbook Scenario is, but it's never the textbook scenario, which is still true today. Of course, don't matter how damn good you think you are. I mean, it's correct. Still correct. You no, know, it's it's still out Still kind out of So, <laughs> my dad and I were out in the woods, and I was practicing, and he'd cut he'd cut firewood. he saw the saw it, and while he was sawing, I would practice, and I'd get away from where he was sawing a little bit, and I'd bugle and listen to it echo through the woods and the timber, and pretty soon the damn ravens came and these ravens, I mean, there wasn't just a couple, there was probably a dozen ravens flying around and flapping around the trees and like looking, I, I must've sounded that bad. They thought something was
1: dying, dying out there. We got to be something. first on scene. I've never
0: had that happen before or ever again with co- trying to use an elk call. I don't know if it was, it, <laughs> was does it like that doesn't mad. bode well for your first efforts. So you're like, mm. right. 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 <laughs> But I was a pretty quick study. I caught on pretty quick. I think I was just naturally gifted at running a call. My my best friend and I both got into this at the same time. He bought a bow. I bought a bow. He he bought one kind of bugle tube. I bought another one. We both kind of liked the same diaphragm. And uh, we started there. And um, we watched all these videos. And, and like the Larry Jones stuff, he kind of give, kind of coached you a little bit in there. But there was a lot to be desired on just how the hell you do it. Right. They give you a few pointers, but it wasn't like, Oh, okay. Now we know what we're doing. Yeah. So we're like, okay. I'd hunt a deer a lot, you know? So I was, you know, I was a hunter through and through. So I knew knew how to conceal and be quiet and sneak or, you know, advance. And um, I just started thinking, you know, they, these different, like my deer hunting tactics were a little bit unorthodox compared to what everybody else was doing around. I'm like, I'm thinking, you know, elk hunting has got to be the same. So, um, you know, I didn't want to sit in a tree stand. A lot of guys sat in tree stands where I hunt, where I grew up and um, I didn't want to do that. A uh, lot of them set over salt, which was illegal. And of course, you know, I didn't want to do that. Uh, and plus it's boring. So I wanted to learn how to call and practicing up until first day, the first day of season, I'd ever hunted elk. Um, I thought, okay, I'd heard, I'd never heard of elk bugle in my life. I'd only heard them on VHS tapes. And when we got there and started calling, I'm like, oh yeah. You know, my chuckles weren't right. They're they're not right. They're kind of okay, but they're not right. They were better than my brother-in-law or my brother. Well, he's my brother-in-law now. He, he married my wife's sister. So we're brother-in-laws, but anyway, um, my chuckles weren't right, but after like that first day of hearing that bull reply and chasing him around a little bit, it's like
1: okay, I'm getting better and better. So you and did get chuckles. into elk, you, so you were able to get into elk and start playing. Oh yeah, opening day,
0: yeah. So we, one of the farmers we knew there had elk, and he hadn't harvested his wheat field yet, so he had probably, uh, probably, uh, eighty acre wheat field that hadn't been harvested. It'd been kind of a wet summer. And he hadn't harvested it, so the elk were just hammering it. I said, yeah, you guys can come and hunt these elk. And so we show up, park at his house, and walk down the driveway hundred yards, and there's elk out in the field. And so we start calling, and they start calling, and yeah, <laughs> and uh, but what we realized real quick was I'd forgotten my bugle tube at home, and my brother-in-law or brother, not brother, my br- best friend, he he actually uh, brought his bugle tube, but he forgot his diaphragms. So I'm like, I'm right, like, give, well, it to me. give it to me. Yeah, give me, I'm like, give me that bugle tube. And he's like, no, you'll call it in for yourself. I'm like, no, <laughs> I'll call it in for you. you. You can shoot. Just let me call. No, no. So there was a little bit of rivalry, some competition there, of course. And, uh, so all he had was one of those elk talk, the ELK, yep. ink, elk talkers, you know, the yeah, little, yeah, pack yep. And, uh, so he jabbed that into the end of the, the tube and was trying to bugle out of that. The bull would respond. I mean, these elk could never, I don't know how much they'd ever been hunted that much really for bow hunting.
1: Yeah. Back then. Yeah. Back
0: then. Yeah. So I was calling into my mouth. I'm like, well, I seen Dwight shoe do this on a Larry D. Jones video. So I was calling into my hand and, and with my, my reed and the diaphragm. And he was <laughs> bugling with that stupid elk talker thing. And the bull was out in the field, out in the middle of this big, Wheat field, you know, and, and he was looking over our way and we're in the brush and, and he'd run around, chase cows and bugle at us. And finally, I don't know what possessed my bro, my brother-in-law, but, uh, or my best friend, whatever. I don't know what, uh, possessed Randy to do this, but he, he hopped over this fence and he kind of hunched over and he put his bow up over his head, like a rack. And he, Held that stupid tube and he went kind of bouncing across the field. And the, and
1: the, the wheat was probably waist high. It was pretty tall. Yeah. So, so he kind of could conceal half his body.
0: Yeah. So this bull is like 300 yards, two, 300 yards away. You can see this shape moving yeah. across the field, making these weird ass noises and that bull kind of like perked up and just made a beeline for him Run! He ran the whole way over there. And I was like, Oh my God, he's going to kill him. Like the elk's going to kill Randy. (laughs) And he was like, God, he's got to be standing right on him. He ran all the way, didn't hang up. And all of a sudden then the bull kind of like did this dance thing and looked around like, what the hell? And then ran, ran back down there, grabbed his cows and left. Once he left the field, Randy kind of stood up out of the, out of the wheat and came over to me and I'm like, what happened? He's like, I shot. I said, did you get him? He's like, No. I missed. Like, how could you miss? He's like, I don't know. He's like 10 yards. But anyway, that was the beginning. Right. So yeah. we chased those elk around there. Um, the next day, the next <laughs> the next day we went back and we're like, all right, we both had all of our calls and we could tell we weren't going to do teamwork. It was just, <laughs> it's and not going to so happen. It was going to, this is going to be a competitive thing. So it's like, all right, you go this way. I'll go that way. So I went over this way. There was bolt bugles this way. There was bugles that way. We both split. He come back with all of his arrows gone. <laughs> he, he shot and missed like five or six times that morning. Good morning. Yeah. And I hadn't fired a shot. I hadn't gotten close enough because I was hunting. And he was in more thicker timber and I was out in the open shit. And uh, I hadn't fired a shot. So the next day was day three. Well, the elk kind of buggered out of there. We pressured them. Well, these elk would live on a big circuit. So they'd be here one day and then they'd move over here and eventually they'd be back. So we kind of knew some other areas where they might be just from our scouting. So the next day he couldn't go because he got lippy with his old man over something. He's, he got grounded so he couldn't go hunting. Well, I don't have a driver's license. So my mom takes me out and we go to a different area and there's a bunch of elk in this wheat field and I get up on the state land that borders it, and it's all kind of cut over timber. And I start calling, and man, that bull's just answering right away. Well, I left my mom sitting at the cattle guard. I walked down this road, I don't know, two, 300 yards, just out of sight of the truck. And I'm calling this bull, and man, he's calling. Pretty soon, here he comes. And I get down, like, well, there's damn road graders in the road. And I'm like, I got to get past it. So I get past the road grader 20, 30 yards. They've been kind of logging and uh i get past the road trader 20 30 yards and i'm calling and this bull comes and he walks out right in this logger road you know they've been hauling logs on he walks out in the logging road at 15 yards that whacking. he runs off and dies <laughs> nice and i go back to the the truck and i'm like mom did you hear that and she's like yeah i couldn't tell which one was you or the elk and i don't know if she was being nice or if that was true but uh anyway i'm like yeah i got him i got him and so she, i sent her home i went to find blood and i sent her home to get my dad so he went she got in the house and she said get your get your come along and your 450 bucks because Dirk got a bowl and he's like yeah right what he didn't believe yeah. that at all she's like no get your stuff he did he did and we, we yeah. got work to do so He grabbed his old, his old beater truck and had come along and we drove out. By the time he came out there, then I'd found the bull. We drove right up to it on these old skid roads and stuff and used to come along and loaded that sucker hole. Right.
1: (laughs) I didn't even got him out there. No, we gutted him out there. Oh, okay. All right. All right. Yeah. But but the whole elk going to the back of the truck. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, um, you know, and that, and then from there forward, you know, I kept, I kept hunting every day of Every day before school, I'd go out because Randy hadn't filled his tag yet. So we'd go out before school. And so here's where, you know, techniques and stuff kind of come to play. I, I, I always kind of thought like, okay, what are they trying to do when they're like calling, bugling back and forth to each other? Somebody's going to get mad and want to fight at some point. And I feel like the sooner we get closer, the sooner we're going to fight. Right. That was my, my, my theory. And then, if you look at the time schedule in the mornings from daylight till we had to leave for school, now the time crunch is really small. So, as soon as we'd hear a bull, we would just, all right, run. We would go get out, run and get close as we could. Cause we, we were hunting, you know, 15 minutes from the house, you know, we'd, we had elk in the low country, right? So, we'd run towards these elk and get close and, like, okay, slow down. We're close. Now we'll slow down. And start, now, now we're up close. Let's start calling. We had this time, you know, we'd have bolts going, coming. And it's like, we got to go. we got to yeah. be late for class. So we'd leave and, and we'd get to school and the teacher that gave me the, the video would be like, all right, how'd you do today? And we'd always be late, but he he forgave us because he wanted to hear elk hunting stories. So, um, but anyway, that, so that kind of formulated that whole idea, like um, fast fast, like get there, get on the bulls while they're still in the mood, while they're still talking and uh, catch them, catch them before they get out of the mood basically, or before we run out of time, got to leave. And uh, in that country there, in that low country, those things would, they would bugle for a while in the morning, but they would, they'd shut up pretty quick and go lay down. And they didn't really call from their bedding area too much. So, um, so same time crunch was like, we got to get them before, before they lose interest or get, go lay down somewhere because it was so thick country where they bed. It's like, there's no way to get up close and sneak in on them. So. Okay. So close and
1: call them in. All right. So let me, let me dissect that a little bit. So what you're saying, so if I'm listening correctly, these elk are, are feeding at night down on ag fields. Yep. All right. And then as the day, daylight creeps in they're going to retreat back up the mountain get back and maybe they're on private property maybe they're on state land or forest or whatever but they're heading up the the hills um steep and it's thick
0: flat country. it's rolling oh. it's it's pretty so there's not even they're not even climbing up on a big tall ridge you know a ridge a ridge to the draw would be like you know maybe 20 30 feet difference it's like pretty rolling country gentle country
1: but you said it's th- it, but it's thick timber yeah. thick timber yeah oh, okay all right. And
0: spots. Spots.
1: Yeah. So you got so you got logging areas and you got that thick timber that they're they're retreating into. So you're catching them as they're leaving those their feeding areas. They're just now heading into the timber. So yeah, that makes sense. I mean, they've been out in very open areas all night long. They can keep an eye on each other very, you know, visually, very easily. But now they're heading into headed to bed. They're heading into thick cover, which is going to predispose them to want to talk. Yeah. And you know, vocalize, whether you're cows or your bulls, but especially your bulls, your bulls are going to start bugling quite a bit, just advertising, hey, we're heading up, we're heading to bed and this is where we're going. So if you want to join us, join us. And and we're talking about back in the day when they were largely unpressured by, you know, bow hunters and callers and and everything else, you know, they were just being elk, doing elky things. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Exactly. All right. So exactly. as you, so then as you progress then through your high school days, I'm guessing you just kind of got better at, you know, your techniques and stuff, but, but you, st- okay. So let's, let's break it down. I lean heavy on a call cow calling strategies, but back in the day you had a little bit of both, you know, the education, you know, that whether it was Dwight or, or Larry or anybody now, John McClendon. No, I know John, I, 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 I love John. Um, I've, Hunted and worked with John. John would always lean heavy on a cow calling strategy. Um, so as you were going through there, you're you so at this time though, you're still in school, you're you're still hunting that same type of bull yeah. that very vocal, thick timber, um, chasing them early in the morning, just trying to get on them and and just and again, and, and I understand where you're coming from. Time is of the essence. Yeah, they're they're talking now. We've got an hour and a half. To, to it's either gonna happen or it's not. There is no slow play. There is right. no being patient, following this is we we're we're we got our school clothes on under our you know camo and and we've got to try to make it happen. So you are predisposing yourself to a more aggressive style of hunting strategy based on what you're dealing with. Right. Time constraint. All right, all right, so so. All right. So you get through high school or I, I, I don't want to speed. I, I'm Everybody's going to love this. I love this. So, so just keep talking us through it. No, seriously, keep talking us through it. Cause I want to, because again, again, I, I fully recognize you and I have a different philosophy on, on how we initially go about engaging. Um, but that's not to say it's not successful. Right. So I want to, I want to pick that apart. So keep going. So as high school yeah. continues. So yeah, I hunt
0: that same country, uh, give, you know, successfully shooting bulls every year. Um, and you know, I'm just getting better, you know, my calling's getting better. And then also I've, I've put a boot, (laughs) I've put a boot on every square inch of that area. I've been everywhere. If it wasn't elk season, it was deer season. If it wasn't deer season, it was Turkey season. You know, if it wasn't Turkey season, it was bear season. You know, I, I was always out. I didn't, I didn't play sports. Um, I just, I was in the woods hunting all the time, looking for, whether it was whitetail rubs and scrape lines, or elk rubs, or four wheeling, you know, you know, you yeah. know, go out four wheel drive in the middle of winter. I mean, do it just. That's what we had. I didn't. We didn't have computer. We didn't have Nintendos or any of that shit. You know, my dad would have never allowed that. So. Yep. Yep. Um, and I loved it. I mean, it was, it was great. It's great. Um, I miss that 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 kind of lifestyle a lot now that I'm grown up and have have to work. And, you know, I mean, I got a pretty sweet job, but
1: they're still working. Yeah. You're still working. Yeah. So, all right. so Sitting here all day at the computer. (laughs) Yeah. So, you get, so, all right, you graduate high school. What happens after that?
0: So, and then I go to work. Now I've become, I'll go from living the dream, elk hunting every single day of September to being a working stiff. Weekends. I'm a weekend warrior. Right. And I worked a job where, my weekends a lot of times would only be a Sunday. So I'd get a split week weekend. I'd have like a Wednesday and a Sunday off or a Friday and a Sunday off or whatever. But once a month, you'd get like a, um, a two day weekend, like a Saturday, a Sunday. So my brother, not my brother-in-law, but my brother, he, along the lines, he come along too and started bow hunting too. So him and I would bow hunt, um, together, you know, a fair amount. Um, after I got out of high school too, we both worked the same company, you know, and, um, try to get the same days off so we could go. And, and there again, you know, time was of the essence, time crunch. We got to get on these elk, get on close before they quit bugling because once they quit bugling it's like, they're gone. We, I don't know where they go. You can't glass them up. You can't other than blundering through the woods and like spooking them off would be the, like the only way you'd find them once they kind of quit talking. So, um, that was kind of our go-to strategy there too, um, and we hunted that that rolling country for a long time. And then um, <laughs> I think between my brother and I, we I think we loaded like 15, 14 bulls whole uh, in the back of pickups be- between the two of us in those years we hunted that country. But then all of a sudden it started getting more people hunting. People were frig- starting to figure it out, you know. Hey, there's elk around here. Um, yeah, that's you know, kind of fun. You know, they just slowly, there was, you know, we couldn't blame it on Facebook and we couldn't blame it on guy's YouTube video series. I mean, we just blamed it on, you know, people just figured it out. I mean, there's, there's up here, loose lips sink ships, right?
1: Yeah. And they're seeing their buddies coming back and, and, you know, especially if you're in school, you're in the lunchroom or you're at the gym or whatever, and you're just like, oh my gosh, this was incredible. This blah, blah, blah. And everybody's just, just, ooh, ah, ooh, ah, ooh, ah, over everything. And at some point they're like, man, I want to try that.
0: Right. And, and to be honest, we were super secretive, like not like never like tell hunting stories other than like, yeah, I got a bull. And, Where'd you get it? Oh, and if I can, if they ask where I got it be like, oh, I got it out So-and-so like completely a place where an elk doesn't even live or never has lived. Right. <laughs> Smart <laughs> and, man. Uh,
1: Smart. <laughs> yeah. That's what I did for years oh, yeah. on my part where I was public land hunting. I, you'd you'd trip we'd have a great morning where same thing i had those mornings where i missed six different bulls in a morning and you know or you know we just it was one of those epic mornings and we'd be hiking back down the trail headed to the camp and you'd run into other hunters and they're like man dude i'm not seeing any you guys seen or heard anybody like no man, there's nothing. Meanwhile, <laughs> my quiver is just a mess. It's just oh, yeah. there's just dirt crammed in broadheads, just because I've been lit. Nope, haven't seen a thing. Like, just keep on moving. <laughs>
0: oh, yeah. To yeah. this day, I'm pretty tight lipped a lot about a lot of
1: that. Stuff. Correct. You you learn that you have to be, otherwise, well, there it goes. Right. Yeah.
0: Hard work. Um, so. We need to branch out. And my grandpa had hunted a place up in the mountains, you know, long before I was a twinkle in my father's eye, right? My my mom's dad and family had hunted this place up in the mountains. And we'd been up there when I was a kid, you know, picking huckleberries or whatever. It was absolutely beautiful elk country. So we started going up there. And man, I wish I'd have known half of what I know now back then, because I had no idea I mean, we'd roll up there. We had our bow, um, our release, uh, a pocket knife, and a Mountain Dew. Uh, that was it. When we first started to go up there, we didn't even have a pack. Like, yeah, I didn't own a pack frame.
1: Why? All the other elk that you've had, you just come along them into the back of the truck. Yeah. Yeah. And I figured, <laughs> oh, we should get one. I'll
0: just, we'll cut the, a quarter off and I'll, I'll carry it. Right? Yeah, I'll just throw just, it over your yeah. shoulder. Yeah. I was a strong young lad, you know, strong back, weak mind. So well, uh,
1: we, we have, we have friends that I, I said, I've told you this before. We had friends up in Grangeville. Yeah. He, he worked logging and yeah, when they killed an elk, he would just cut the hind quarters. He would cut the spine in yeah, front yeah. of the pelvis, yep. take the hind quarters over his shoulder. Just what an animal and up now this is Grangeville. Like yeah. your mountains yeah. are like this, you know, I mean, it's steep. And the elk are usually down the bottom, you know, and this was rifle season, you know, rifle. And so they'd roll rocks, kick, you know, you'd roll rocks down the mountain. The elk would, or deer would just pile out of there and then you just shoot them on the other side. Well, you got to go down and then climb back up and that, yeah, just throw it over, climb back to the truck. Uh, no. Yeah, no.
0: That's way too hard.
1: Oh, <laughs> you can't, you know, I can't even, my, I don't, I, my poor knees don't even want to even think about that right now. But yeah, so. Back then, I mean, the mindset was just, ah, throw it on and go huh. Until, right. until you have to try to do that yourself. Right. So, go to the mountains.
0: <clears throat> Excuse me. We got bulls bugling. Same thing is like, well, man, we got to get on these things before they kind of quit bugling. And we've only got a day to get this done, right? We don't have a long weekend or a, or a week to do this so again we would as soon as we hear them, like okay let's go and we just beat feet to them and then try to call them in and the first backcountry bull week shop, my it was it was amazing you know uh, it was an amazing well <laughs> leading up to that day it had been like hot weather full moon couldn't buy a bugle my brother the first or second day of the honey he's like oh, i'm gonna go it's, it's his anniversary he's like i'm gonna go take my wife to on on an anniversary trip or something, I might come back. I'm thinking, gee whiz. So man, I'm just digging through the trenches, you know, just hiking every spot and just doing it and not having any luck. And then he shows up and a big a big storm comes through and it snowed, laid down about two, three inches of snow. And there were bulls bugling everywhere. I mean, (laughs) it's like which way do you go? They're just everywhere. Where, where this big long finger ridge would go down this huge drainage and there were just bulls countless just everywhere so well let's dig in so we got down in there called in a bull comes running right up brother shoots it awesome got him so here's how we're outfitted we have a uh, picture like a jan sport backpack but made from polar fleece and camouflage you remember them real shitty ones
1: I know exactly which ones you're talking about that had a single stitch on the, the shoulder strap and no belt, and, and <laughs> yeah, no hip belt. <laughs> exactly.
0: Yeah. So we were really prepared. We had those. Um, we had, they, I think they'll, I had they'll, a,
1: they'll comfortably pack out every bit of 10 pounds. Yeah. Yeah,
0: exactly. So I think I had a tarp and
1: um, some
0: meat bags. Wow. Meat bags. I think I might've had a I don't even think we had any food, like even a snack. We we might've had some water to drink, maybe like a Mountain Dew or something.
1: Did you actually have like actual meat bags or did you just have those cheesecloth? You know, remember well, those, they, remember those, the fishnet like, cheesecloth things?
0: Yeah, well, yeah, they were, they were, we had the, Ala- I had the Alaskan meat bags and my brother had these oh, like yeah. heavy ones that were made out of like, canvas like yeah yeah like the ones you put on a horse or something yeah yeah. a couple of those
1: there's five or six of them and they weigh 16 pounds just on their own they're just right
2: (laughs) Right. exactly
0: (laughs) exactly so we go to work and we bone this thing out because we were in a we're in a bad place so we bone this thing out get it in bags and then like okay well we're gonna have to hike all the way back out it's about two miles and pretty damn rugged uh, hike all the way back out, get in the truck, drive back to town, get, I had this idea. I'm like, well, I got a motorcycle and we'll grab a chainsaw and we'll cut this trail out and we will ride the dirt bike down there and we'll shuttle meat on the dirt bike. Okay, great. So we get back to town, get all the stuff. And now, you know, this was first thing in the morning, he shoots this saying, Now it's, you know, we get back there about three o'clock in the afternoon start sawing and sawing and sawing pretty soon. It's like, all right, I'm getting tired of sawing and we're probably halfway down this Ridge. And it's like, okay, we gotta, we gotta start packing. So we grab our pack frames and hike down there and load them up. And we just get them loaded up and starting to get kind of dusky out. I look up and it just big giant snowflakes start coming down. They're the size of, I don't know, this bigger than golf balls. It looks like, and I'm like, man, I think we might be in trouble right now. Yeah. So I'm wearing, uh, military BDU pants. Uh, I've got some uh, logging boots, you know, no Gore-Tex. I've got a, a cotton shirt on cause I didn't want to overheat. Right. That's it. And my pack, I'm like, I'll just hike and to get warm. So we start hiking and man, I was, it was cold. So we finally hit the bottom of the ridge where the trail is. And we start hiking up the trail and it's a shitty trail. My brother's in front. I'm like, where are you taking us? He's like, I can't see he's got glasses on. It's dark. And wet. He can't see. He's got shit all over his glasses. And I'm like, all right, let me, let me lead. I know the way. So we get up there and we sit down and, all right, he's kind of like taking a break. And I'm like, man, I could fall asleep right here. I, oh, I feel so good to take this break. I'm like, I'm like that's crazy talk. That's, that's like right. the guy on the video they show you like get right. hypothermia, right? I'm like- That's how you die. That, yeah. that, that, that's how you die. Yeah. So I'm like, let's shed these packs. The meat's fine. We'll shed these packs right here. Let's get the hell out of here. We got to hike. So we start, we hiked as hard and as fast as we could out of there. We got to the truck and we're just soaked to the bone, shivering, shaking. Peel all of our clothes off, and it's probably an hour drive back home. Heater blaring the whole time. But by the time we got home, it was like we could
1: <clears throat> we could fi- you finally violently sh- yeah, you weren't violently shivering anymore.
0: Yeah, yeah, we were in a bad way. I mean. If we wouldn't have had somewhere to warm to get, we'd have been done for. But uh, anyway, so fast forward, if I'd have known back in them days, you know, and had the equipment and knew how to be prepared, um, it would have been a completely different game to play up there. But uh, um, but where the game's kind of changed, and I still kind of uh, do the same thing, like I hear bulls bugle, I want to get on them quick as I can. You know, it may, I'm hunting rugged country, though. It's nasty, and it may take you half the day to get to him just because how steep and deep it is. But um, I try not to waste a lot of time, you know, getting to him or I slow play him. If I think oh, maybe he'll come over here instead, you know, I might slow play him or whatever. But I still to this day try to get on him pretty quick. But I, I kind of call it the bull's disposition as far as the calling goes. I try to call it the bull's disposition if if he's answering aggressively then I answer aggressively. If he's answering like "Eh, kind of ho-hum, then I ho-hum him. And I kind of try to trick him. I just keep on pestering him until his mood changes, until he gets mad and lashes out. And when he does that, then I'll I'll escalate, but I don't usually escalate till he escalates.
1: Now the the flip side of that though is, is in some areas. um, I mean, you've, you get into those bugling scenarios where, yeah, either, either they're going to finally get pastured and come. And, and I have, I've killed bulls like that. I mean, hell the, the biggest bull that I've killed 12 year old freaking giant, I called in with a bugling strategy. Um, I mean, just, that's all he, that's, he didn't care about cow vocalizations. What right. later on we figured out was um, for this particular area that we were hunting at that, you know, at the end of August, Colorado started back then, the uh, season started the last weekend of August. Those bulls would be down low. The cows would be up, uh, up above. And those bulls were still in their pecking order. They're trying to, they're, they're trying to figure out their pecking order. And there was almost no cows. I mean, you'd never come across a cow, but you'd come across a bunch of bulls and you could, you could get a response and you could get, you know, uh, action from, with cow calls, but, most of the time you were better off with a bugling strategy and maybe not, I'm I'm not talking aggressive bugles or anything like that, but just using bull vocalizations. I mean, hell, even moans and whines and just huffs and chuckles and raking that type of stuff. So my biggest bull was killed that way. Wyoming, uh, same thing. I literally, there were so many cows and the bulls were all, I mean, every decent bull had 30 cows with him. It's like, either I'm going to call the whole group or I've got to do that. I've got to, I've got to get in close to that bedding area and make him come out. And the only way to do that was just to continue to pester, 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 pester. Now the flip side is in some of the areas that I hunt, you do that and the bulls are like, screw a bunch of this. We're out. And they, they're gone. Mm -hmm. Bye-bye. And so that kind of, then there's a variety of other reasons why I kind of switched gears on, on how I, play things in the in the field here's what I want to ask you and I know that and and you've you have enough now especially with the guys um, you've got enough YouTube videos that people can watch your hunts and and kind of see how you play things um you have talked about this on on other play other places and joked about it but I want to pick something apart a little bit yeah. Dirk Durham calling strategies, tactics versus Doug Flutie. Because you guys have been accused of being the Doug Flutie for <laughs> someone else. You know what I mean? Someone else. Oh, yeah. you know, I mean, here, you know, I, I will tell you, it's no secret the people that just go and bugle across the landscape and just, they're just turning and burning and going and just bugling everything. You just, I'm like, what the fricking hell are you? You're walking right by elk. I'm, I'm sitting, you, what, you know, so I have my own experiences with the quote unquote Doug Flutie's and my criticisms of them. But what is the difference in, in when we sit there and we, we, we laugh about the Doug Flutie's bugling and, you know, whatever they're doing quote unquote wrong. Right. But by the flip side, Dirk Durham or Jason Phelps, or hell, we could even, you know, rope in uh, Corey or you name it. You pick the, the, the celebrity hunter, if you will, that likes to lean on an aggressive, um, more aggressive style. Yeah. Where where you want to push the, you want to push the pace. And you want to use more of a bugling strategy. What separates you from that kind of the Doug Flutie that's rocking across the landscape? Quote, unquote, that people say, oh, you're screwing everything up. What When when you look at your stuff and when, because before the, the previous conversations you guys have, it was joking around and it's fun. It's lighthearted and fun. But right. I think there's some mm-hmm. important differences there that need to be, kind of teased out when when you look at what you're doing on the landscape how do how do you make sure that you separate yourself and what you're doing from what the average you know the the average Doug Flutie on the landscape might be doing does that make sense yep
0: yep yep so we'll use a fishing analogy right so you said you're a a fly fisherman or you've probably oh maybe not maybe you're a purist but you've probably thrown a fishing lure or two in the stream with a spinning rod yeah okay so you you're a fisherman, you walk up to the stream, <clears throat> you look out there, you assess, you're like, okay, immediately, your eyes are picking out apart the stream of where fish are going to live, okay, there's a big rock over there, um, the water goes from golden to a green, uh, like a seam right there, uh, it's like, okay, there's going to be fish right on that seam, there's going to be a fish right behind that rock, probably a few, I probably, remember to pull two or three of them be, from behind that rock with my lure, or let's say, you're driving down the highway, or the country road, wherever, and you're, you're you you see Doug Flutie the fisherman, um, and he's got his fly rod and he's 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 whipping flies in this slack water that's about <clears throat> it's dark dark green. You can't see the bottom. He's out there fishing, fly fishing in that <clears throat> dry flies. There's no fish surfacing. You know, um, <clears throat> it's kind of the same with elk hunting. Um, I feel like some of the Doug Fluties, when they go through across the landscape, since they don't understand topography and the way bugles um, travel to the mountains, that they just like, well, I'm going to walk and I'm going to bugle and I walk and I bugle and then happenstance, I'll probably come along and maybe I'll hear one. And then typically Doug Fluties will do all the wrong things like, oh, they won't, they won't obey the wind. They will not put all the extra effort it takes like, Oh, well the wind sucks. So instead of like hiking up and around this knob a mile and coming back in over here to get a good vantage point to this elk door, it's, it's, it's good for me to call him in in this spot. I'll just risk it. I'll just take the easy way up and, you know, bugle my whole way up. And I didn't really put any effort into learning how to call in the off season. So I bought this bugle on at Walmart on the way to the woods. So it, it makes noise. Um, I've never heard an elk, I've seen them on TV, but I, they, I've had people say, make a spike squeal. Don't try to sound like a big bull, make a spike squeal. Um, this is what I think a spike squeal sounds like. It sounds like somebody abusing a puppy. <laughs> so that's kind of like your, your, um, <clears throat> your, your fishing, like somebody that's done a lot of fishing, they go to the stream, they cast their line into likely places where you're gonna catch a fish if you don't know anything about fishing, it's like, oh, there's water, there's fish in it. I'm going to just walk up and I'm just going to throw my line out. I seen fly fisherman, you know, he's in the, you know, fish, fishing in the obviously the wrong spot for the kind of fishing he's doing. You know, he should have had like a, a worm on a sinker and, the, and it's a sucker hole. You know, there's, there's yes. suckers in the bottom. I mean, it's completely different kind of fishing. Right. So I feel like it's that same kind of, same kind of thing. It's like that the inexperience or maybe the lack of, knowledge of the landscape and elk the your the the, the aka Doug fluties uh, kind of fit into that category um, whereas you know if you're sitting on the ridge across the valley from me and you hear me walking up through there you probably think oh gee whiz that there's old Doug flutie over there but what you don't understand is like I'm dissecting every piece of that landscape I'm calling into the likely spots so as you traverse a ridge let's say I try I'd like to be up on top of the ridge and I want to I want to calling each little nook and cranny you know I may call a little bit on this side of the ridge if it's not that far I'll walk right over the other side and call over here then I'll zigzag my way across picking apart every single draw every little nook and cranny on that that spot looking for all the north faces to where the likely places where I think a bull's going to be I heard him this morning at daybreak but now it's 12. now I got to find him I root him out you know I'm looking at my my onyx Whatever brand of mapping software you got on your phone, it's all the same, right? You know, it it tells you topography and what what slopes are north-facing slopes. Just find the north-facing slopes. You're probably going to be bedding there-ish, you know. They bed everywhere, but that's a pretty likely spot. So I'm trying, I'm calling in all these likely spots until I can find that bull again. Uh, If I didn't like really pinpoint him, let's say it's like way over there and it's taken me half the day to get there. I'm gonna get over there into the likely spots where I think he's gonna be. I'm gonna call a lot, but it won't be indiscriminately. I won't be just like walk a hundred yards, blow my bugle, blow my bugle, walk a hundred yards, blow my bugle. You know, fire off a couple hoochie mamas in tandem. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, it's 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 calculated, I guess. And that that would probably be a, the biggest difference
1: on there. Gotcha. Because I mean, that's the other thing too is. <clears throat> And, and I guess let's, I guess let's trans shift that into some over time. You had more, uh, you know, obviously opportunities as you got older to, to hunt different places. So go back to the beginning, you were in high school hunting before classes. So you had to adopt a very rapid style of cover ground, and try to, try to make quote unquote, make something happen. Anybody that's followed me for long enough says, you know, I I always say you're never going to make anything happen. All you can do is put it all the only thing you're going to make them do is run away. All you can do is put in their mind, what might be in their best interest, you know what I mean? And, And try to play that. So, but you're, you were, you started off in a situation where it dictated that you take a more aggressive strategy and move across the landscape quick. And to be honest, you were, you started off in an area where that was absolutely possible with the logging roads. Easy. And the, yeah. Yeah. Easy. And then as you start transitioning, you go in the mountains and other places, what you were just talking about, you're, you're, you're covering country. You're checking in this pocket. You're checking in that pocket. Checking in this pocket. To, you know, again, you're covering country and, you know, you're, you're, you're out there trying to, again, you know, the quote unquote, make something happen. You're, you're, you're trying to drum up that activity. And if you don't get activity in that area, okay, okay, then let's just flip this around. You know, there's a good bull in that area and he doesn't, he's, he doesn't bugle back at you. Are you, are you going to say, no, I'm going to park it right here and I'm going to wait for that particular bull or you, or is your mindset that you're like, nah, he doesn't want to play. I'm going to go try to find something else and maybe I'll come back later or screw him. I'm just going to, I'm just going to keep on going and finding a different bull. What, what's the, what's your. Yeah.
0: So I, if that, if, if I'd like uh, there, I'd seen a bull or heard a bull there and and he's not gone. Right. But he's not talking. Um, Everything's different. You know, let's say, um, I've expended a ton of energy to get to this pot And I've got quite a bit of time, you know, enough time to, to where I can like, okay, let's, let's slow things down here a little bit and see what we can turn up over an hour's time. Okay. We can do that. Um, Or if I'm just like, there's a couple other places over here up the, up the Ridge. I'd like to check. I'm going to put that thing on ice and I'll come back. I'll do that a lot. You know, we'll, you know, we'll put him in the bank. Uh, we'll come back later. Maybe it's another day. Maybe it's, you know, this is 10 o'clock in the morning. Um, he ain't going to call it, he don't want to bugle out of his bed. That's fine. I'm going to go hunt the rest of the day, see if I can turn something up and then I'll be right back there at, you know, let's say five o'clock, six o'clock in the evening. By the time they're starting to get up, start moving around. Maybe I'll hear some bugles. Maybe he'll be, maybe he'll be ready to bugle at that point. Um, if I don't hear nothing, then I may leave him for two days and go complete a complete different area, you know, twenty miles away, and try a different spot, knowing he's there, and be like, "All right, well, we've scared the hell out of all the elk over here. <laughs> we'll go back and try him again." Um, I've got a buddy that always used to say, um, "Every bull's got a sl- has a slutty day or a slutty moment, right? There's th- those days where they're just they're rut dumb or whatever. Um, you, if you're there on that hour of that day, you know you." probably going to kill him yeah Uh, but being there what day is that who knows but so i'll kind of go revisit those spots over and over sometimes if depend on how much faith i got in the spot if i know there's a lot of bulls in that area or will be coming through that area then i'll go revisit those places often if not it may be i may or may not go back so there's a lot of things that kind of come to play there
1: but Uh, in 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 all cases though what it sounds like is you and if I'm off base, correct me. In your hunt plans, then in your hunt planning, are you then leaning heavy on areas that you can lean stronger on a, a very mobile style hunt, where yeah, yeah. where you have opportunities just to go bail, go here, bail, go over there? But yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't like hunting with my uh, heavy pack on my back. You know, I don't like to bivy hunt. I don't like it. Especially a lot of these places, the country, you know, like let's say Idaho or uh, Wyoming or Montana. Um, you got a lot of predators, you know, and yeah. it looks good on paper and you might've been in there a week ago and there was bulls everywhere, but you throw 50 pounds and all your worldly belongings in your pack and hike in there for five, or six miles. It could be a ghost town. Um, yeah. I, would ra- I would rather, and, and depending on the country too, like I feel like some of the Colorado stuff where you got a big trail system and you got multiple big basins, you know, um, that would probably be a better way to go for there. Um, but I like to be pretty mobile to where, you know, depending on the area, you know, let, let's say Wyoming, it, it would be pretty easy to go into a, into a big area, uh, put in 10 to 15 miles in one day, to have a lot of encounters, um, call some in, spook them off, kill one, whatever, um, and you could blow up that area pretty easy in one day. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and I feel like your best opportunity to kill an elk is probably on your first encounter with them. So I don't want to just continue to pound that spot. So one day we're up here, um, had some bugling, didn't kill nothing, let it rest go to the next spot, come back to that spot. Maybe it's a big enough area that we weren't able to hunt it effectively and like get on every bugle. Maybe that would be a time where I take my pack in and we'd camp for a couple of days, a couple, three days.
1: See, and I think and so as you've as you've been able to hunt different states. Are you when you do the hunt planning on those states, you're still kind of looking at those states because you know, like you just said with Colorado, there are places that you can hunt north central part of the state and hell down even some south central part of the state where there's roads, there's there's access, there's right. there's plenty of places where you can just turn and burn, but right. you get towards the middle part of the state, um, where yeah, there's a trailhead and there's a whole freaking gargantuan monstrous wilderness over there or roadless area or whatever where where are you going hunting up that way and up, up and there? Yeah. <laughs> and you've got a, you've got a basin and you're going to hike in and you're going to camp now. Yeah. You can, you can cover country around there, but I mean, you're going to burn some energy. You're, you're going to burn your resources, Oh yeah. um, to where I think this has been my criticism of the aggressive style of hunting, and it, I think it goes back to what you were saying about your, what your difference I, I do. I do like the fishing analogy uh, the difference between a, a Doug Flutie and, and someone who knows what they're doing, utilizing a more aggressive uh, calling strategy. Um, a lot of people that whether they watch the videos or whether they doesn't matter, they, they hear the sexy. That's a sexy style of hunting. I mean, that yeah. a bull screaming in your face, that's sexy. You know, oh, yeah. that that I it's mean that's hunting. just awesome. You know? Yeah. Um, but what a lot of people don't realize is what you just said there. You are banking on not bank. I don't know if banking on's the right way. Let's just say you're banking. You're you're you are searching for an area. And you're hunting areas that give you opportunities to cover a lot of ground and hopefully have many encounters across your hunt. If you're up there for a week, you're going to be covering enough country to where you're hoping to, to run into five, 10, 15 different bulls. Hope, you know, hopefully, to where right. you've you've got diff you're encountering different bulls throughout that entire that that entire ordeal. But the big part of that is being mobile and and checking new areas. What I see a lot of people doing is going into one area and there may only be one group of elk in that area, or maybe there's, you've got this bull and that bull, and there's two, there's a group of elk in this one, and there's a group of elk in that one. And maybe there's a bull that's going back and forth. They go into those situations where it is not a target rich environment. You don't have many options. You got this bull and that bull. Yeah, you go in there with an aggressive strategy and you blow them out, or you you bump them, or disturb them, or whatever. You change their behavior. You change their 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 natural uh, engagement on the landscape. That that may be it. Unless you're going to pack up, leave, go, you know, hike in somewhere else, and go to another another yeah. basin. And it's, that's why I wanted to have this conversation to figure out kind of what your initial hardwiring was for, for lack of a better, better term. When you cut your teeth on elk hunting, it was a, let's get, let's get after you had, you had easy, easy, easy terrain. You had target rich environment that had a lot of mobility. Uh, uh, the ability for mobility and and just turn and burn on the landscape, and you had a, a very you had a daily short window to hunt, but you could go every day, and you right. could go you know over this mountain over that place. You get you had you you could just keep going and playing and playing and playing and playing. Where when I started again, when I started where I started, it was. Early season was my favorite time. That was a bull vocalization strategy. I got good at my cow calls, but back then it was, no, you grab the bugle tube and you start talking to them. And, and I wouldn't, I don't usually lean on the, oh, they came in looking for a fight, but, oh, they definitely come in looking or like, who the hell are you? This yeah. guy did. He, yeah. I mean, he flat out was like, who the freaking hell is in my chunk of this, this base or this, this Valley. What we right. found out later, I mean, he busted off half his main beam. Um, And then we get, I got him packed out. My buddy showed up. We go back into that same valley and we run squarely into a legit, we know he was well over 380, but he was probably 390, 400 inch, just a clean six by six, just clean yeah. six, massive, just, just massive bull. And I'm like, Okay. Well, now I know. Now I know who he probably tied into. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, he was running the bottom half of the valley. I was able to kill him, and then this other giant was running the top half of the valley. Um, we called him in. Um, it, my buddy was set up. It, my that friend brought his other friend, who had no experience whatsoever, and so I said we did the typical two-person setup, but the 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 new guy, the rookie guy, we set him off at the back because Larry was going to go up and be the shooter. I was going to call, and I told – I don't remember the guy's name. I want to say John, but I don't know that. Set him back because we didn't want – the wind was fickle. It didn't matter. Bulls coming in like, this is going to happen. We're going to take two 400-inch bulls off of this mountain – back to back. And all of a sudden the bull just locked up, picked his head up, looked and just like, no, turned around and just turned just one eighty, and just right. Just, just zip back. I'm like, what the hell Larry, you know, Larry looks back at me. I look at Larry. I'm like, I don't know. I turn around to look and, and Larry's buddy, not knowing any better is back there. Oh God. No, he couldn't see. So So he wouldn't, he wanted to see. And so he's doing this. Sneaking through the trees and bull, I mean, bull picked him off and never saw that bull again, but back in the day and and this same season. So when I killed this one, um, my, another good friend of mine from the military was getting married, which I could have punched him who gets married the first week of September (laughs) or end of, end of August, beginning of September. I'm like, my brother, he got married the third week of September. Like, what are you doing that? So I told him, I'm like, well, I'm going elk hunting, but I'll come out. I'll go to your wedding. And then I'm, I'm just bailing. So the first several days I was up there, I was literally the only person at the trailhead. There was no one else. I had the entire mountain to myself and it was every day. Like what you're just going to mean, bugle, 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 bugle. I don't know. He sounds cool. Just so you just, you go after him and here's a 320 bull. Here's another 300 bull. Here's a, I mean, it was, it was phenomenal. But then over time, as pressure hunter, other hunter pressure started kicking in yeah. and changes of management on the landscape and elk populations changed, man, it I, I, ha, I had to change my strategy to where, okay, that's that is the only bull I know of. No one else knows he's here. I'm going to ninja this sucker. I'm. I don't want him bugling. I don't want him talking. I don't want him anything because if he if he squeals even remotely higher than about ten decibels, everybody and their brother's uncle is going to be in my back pocket. And here he comes. So I think it's important to know where people kind of start and come from because you, again, you developed essentially a recipe on how you elk hunt and and what worked for you. Well, hell, if it works, why ditch it? You know what I mean? Now, right. obviously, well, over time, you're going to fine-tune that recipe. Everybody can make a chocolate chip cookie. right? But there's some really good chocolate chip cookies out there. Right. Everybody's using a general same recipe, but you know how to tweak your recipe when you yeah. need to to really make that sucker good. I think that is one thing that I have liked about you. Uh, what I've seen with you over the years is you know when to tweak it when you need to. Yeah. You're not... Yes, you like a bugling strategy and yes, you oftentimes will default to a strategy that I might not default to, but I have seen at least enough of some of your YouTube and stuff where I've watched you adjust in the moment and playable differently. Rather than just being like, I don't care. I'm going to scream in his face, scream in his face, scream in his face, scream in his face, scream. Oh, that didn't work. Moving on, scream in his face. It's like, okay. I don't know that there's, again, like I said, Jay and I have almost identical philosophies. Steve and I have almost identical, identical philosophies, but even though you and I don't.
0: And I think, I think I think you're 100% sent spot on on um, the way you like to hunt those kind of places. I'm not saying I probably I would probably hunt the, them the same type of way though. You know, if you're if you've committed and you're in that deep and you've expelled all that energy, I don't want to blow those elk out of there. I'm going to go in with kid gloves, right?
1: Well, um, and 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 quite honestly, let me take it a step further. And this and this goes back to what I was just saying a minute ago about the hardwiring. How you kind of, how both of us have developed our strategy over time. I hunt places that absolutely I drive my camper to, that I drive my truck to, yep. and I might walk up that valley and I know there's two or three elk up there. I, uh, it's it, it, again, I, I I always use the the my my analogy of the Valley of the Ten Bulls. Yeah. In this valley, there are ten bulls because I've, because of the way I've hardwired myself and, and, and my experience, do I have the ability to go up there and, and move across the landscape and find a bull that wants to play whatever my game, you know, a bugling strategy or an aggressive style or absolutely I could. And I can go up there and try to pick apart and find that one sexy. The other flip side is, and I don't call me lazy. I don't know, but the other flip side is, is I'm like, well. I kind of would rather just still be able to go up and call every 10, all 10, all 10 of those bulls in, however they need to be called in. And, and again, because of, and this just is where, now I've had the the good fortune of being able to hunt on some really sweet private property in New Mexico. Uh, It didn't work out, but it was a, it was a phenomenal experience. Uh, And then Wyoming, I went with a friend who literally knew a rancher, and that rancher allowed us to access a massive chunk of national forest that was, it was not, it's not landlocked, but in order to get to this spot on public ground, you're talking a three to four day pack ride in with horses and it's going to be, it's going to be a, a rodeo. I mean, it's going to be tough. So oh, yeah. us, us having access through that private ranch, just put us right. I'm, I'm not joking you, man. If I could ever go back there, I mean, the connections are all gone and everything else, but dude, you, we, we get back there and it's a, it's literally an hour or so from the, you know, private ranch. And then right on the backside of the private ranch, they had a little cabin and then like a hundred yards from the cabin is national forest. And that's why they put the little, it's a little, uh, cowboy camp, you know, so it's yeah. literally a log cabin, single room log cabin that you can kind of see daylight through the the, the cracks <laughs> of the cabin with a a, a a little cast iron, little wood cook stove type heater. You know, nice. it's just, I mean, it's a rugged little cowboy camp cabin that you yeah, had cots that we stayed in. Um, We took the horses in and, and from every day, it was an hour hike to get to the top of the ridge. And it was just an hour. You, you walk out, you go about a couple hundred yards flat and you just go whoop. 30 degree slope. Here we go to the top of the mountain. And it's an hour hike. But once you got there, man, you look off that backside, and you know, this part of Wyoming is these huge, big rolling ridges, all grass and you know, benches that have timber on it, or the 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 little creek drainages. There's a little finger of timber, finger of timber, finger. So you got a bowl, grass, you know, everything's grass, but you got this bowl, clump of timber. Next bowl clump of timber, next bowl, clump of timber. And I mean, and then, so we're on this one, that's all North face, goes down to the river, comes up the other side. And on the other side, same thing. It's just, it's just bowl, 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 bowl. And and in between, or in the bottom of each of those bowls, just this little strip of timber that goes down to the bottom. I'm not joking you, man. You get up there and you glass and you're like, here's a 320 bowl, 10 cows, next one, 330 bowl, 15 cows. Next one 320 330. Oh, there's a 380. Here's a 400. There's a 360. There's a 350. I mean, it just and every single I mean, it's it's literally just bull, 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 bull. And every bull had its own bull with its own cow group. It's like you just sit there and you're like <laughs> uh, it's just you're <laughs> like holy and then you then the reality hits you of now what? Because yeah. the only way to them is going across this wide open grassland slope. And they're bedded out in the grass. Oh God. So you're like, okay, so I've got, so the only way to get to these elk is I've got to drop down in that bowl. And when I drop down to that bowl, I'm going to blow these elk out. Yeah. So I've got to do it in a way that blows those sacrifice elk. Sacrifice them. The, yeah. <laughs> I got to sacrifice these and blow them out that way. Drop down, come over Like you said, not be a, a Doug Flutie. You got, I mean, like work to get around and position and get in there. And then it was insane, man. It was insane. And I did. We, we played for several days, called in a bunch of different bulls, had a bunch of different mishaps. And then again, like what you said, um, it came down to the last couple of days. And I'm like, well, there's a bull bugling in that pocket of timber and he's got his cows. He's bedded in there. I can't get any closer. He's not going to come out with cow calls. I mean, he, he wasn't responding. He was responding to bugles. He wasn't responding to the cow calls. I had called cow. I had used a cow calling strategy to start. I had called a couple of the cows to the edge. They just looked at, you know, just come to the edge of that little Krumholtz, you know, small pines. They look, didn't see It's wide open. I'm hiding behind a couple little little spindly pines. Oh yeah. You know, so it's like, I've got one clump hiding me. So the cows would come out, they'd look and they didn't see anything. And then turn around, go back in. I'd call a calf out. The calf would come out. It fart around. The cow would come out to the edge and she'd call the calf back in. They go back in. It's like, what? So I just had to use a bull A bugling strategy and basically what you said is I just had to be that I just had to be a thorn in his side where I wasn't leaving I'm way too damn close I'm just not going anywhere and I'm I'm he finally was like all right damn it and you know he (laughs) didn't he didn't come out you know quote-unquote looking for a fight he came out he's like who the who is this? What the hell is this? Correct. And <laughs> and I'm hi- I'm I'm hiding behind this own, I don't know, the clump of trees is probably a ty- 10 yards diameter, you know? So yeah. he's like, what the? So, I mean, here he comes, just straight at me. And I mean, finally he's up, up above me, quartering towards me. And he's looking at, at, I know he's like, there's no one here. You know what I mean? I mean, he's like. <laughs> Yeah, there's no, so it was, it was one of those things it, it, he popped out of the timber and I was like, well, he was smaller than what I was hoping for, but oh, well you're going home with me. And I yeah. zipped him, you know, I, I zipped him. Of course I zip him. He goes down. I start cutting. Now we're in grizzly country. So let's get Johnny on the spot. I'm up there by myself. I'm freaking waylaying this thing. And all of a sudden I hear a, bu- I hear hooves and I hear a bugle. I look up I don't remember 12, 15 cows. Here they come, just tearing. And because this bull was bedded where he was, and I was hunting where I was, and the bull walked this trail that he was on, the bull dies on the trip. Well, this is the main trail that elk utilize. This entire group here they come, and it's this freaking three hundred and fifty giant bull. Oh, Fifteen yards stands there, looks at me. I'm sitting there, gut pile. You know, not gut pile, but I'm I'm ha- half done elk. And I'm looking at this 350, just clean six by six, but just 15 yards stand there looking at me like, "What are you doing?" Oh well, and just brute there he goes with uh, his cows. I'm like, "You've got to be." I meanwhile I've got a you know a I don't know he's 260, 270 yeah. five by six or whatever. It's like, yeah, God, yeah of course. But so that's a
0: Let's pause.
1: I got to pee. All right, go pause. <laughs> p- <laughs> I'm laughing because I didn't notice. Now that now he said that he's just uh, we've got the video going and maybe I'll do the uh, maybe I'll make this a YouTube video but anyway I didn't realize he was dancing around in the screen he's he's like leaning forward leaning back leaning forward leaning back (laughs) I didn't I didn't pick up on the body language there sorry brother (laughs) man that was close you feel better
0: that was close
1: (laughs) (laughs) after you left I said I was like. I, I completely missed all the all the cues because and I did I was like all right so one moment he's here next minute he's there next minute he's okay he's moving <laughs> doing this I'm like yeah I totally missed the cues brother I'm sorry
0: it's all right it's all right hey I right. interrupt you you're right in the middle of a good story
1: yeah so your your teeth are back in place you you nothing's floating out of your head. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, you, you can concentrate now. You probably didn't hear a word I said because all you were thinking about is clench, clench, clench. <laughs> this is where those Kegels come in. This is where the Kegel right. practice comes in. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! But anyway, so I mean, no, I mean that's the thing is is uh, you know I talk about with the with the strategy app, you know, and, and people, you know, one of one of the criticism, excuse me, one of the criticisms that I get is like, Chris, well, you're, you know, your strategy is redundant. You know, and I'm like, well, you know, like we talked about with turkey. Right. You've got yelps, you've got clucks, you've got purrs, you can cut, you can cackle. But cackling is only a certain little bit of time. Cutting is only used in certain and purrs are one thing you get down to it you've got like two or three different calls strategies that you're going to use of course it's going to be redundant right. the, the right. question is is how do we tactfully choose it and then how do we apply it that's the question right. i mean it's still yes it's a yelp for turkey yes it's a yelp but how do i execute that yelp and in what inflection do i put with it and, and same thing with the, if yes it's a lost mule. okay it's a lost view yeah well guess what Oh, that's what they use. Ninety percent of the time, when you hear them, it, it's it's probably a loss mew. Yeah, I'm going to use the loss mew uh, a lot. You know, so there's some redundancy there. But I do talk about using a, a bugling or a bull vocalization strategy. Now, I will usually defer that later on after I've tried the the, the cow calling strategy. But you know, there's a place for it all um, if it's done right. And and quite honestly, and that's the thing is. Again, that's why I want to have you on because I think it's important for people to understand you find a lot of success with your style of hunting, but you set yourself up for that success right. by selecting habitats and areas to hunt that allow you to be mobile and flexible on where what you're doing each day. Yeah. You're, you're not beating the same piece of ground into the dirt day after day, after day, after day. Right. With the same aggra- generally a more aggressive style of, you know, strategy. Right.
0: Right. Right.
1: Yeah. And, and, that's huge, you know, and
0: it's, it's aggressive, but it's not reckless. A lot of times, you know, some people the a reckless story They're They're like, well, I heard that bull. I'm going regardless. I mean, the wind's kind of iffy. I
1: mean, if it's the last day, I'm going to get reckless just because. That's a great. I I have not ever used that. That is a great distinction. Yeah. there it. That's a great distinction: aggressive versus reckless. And I will, I will. I I. I think I probably from here on out I'm going to have to be a little bit more careful on when when I'm discussing different strategies. I can honestly say I'll bet you there's been a number of times where I've inadvertently un not maliciously but in, I've conflated those two to where yeah you can have an aggressive strategy that is not reckless right but you can damn well have a reckless strategy whether it, whether it's passive or not right. um so that's a good distinction there
0: yeah yeah if the wind's not right
1: you know I yeah
0: I'm I live and die by it right if I've got a bull, I don't care how hot he is. If the wind's not right and it's wishy-washy or whatever, I, I'm just going to go ahead and just sit down in the safe zone and yep. wait it out. Yep. It may sit there half the day only to be fouled to where it, where it never does get right. or the bull gets up and goes a different direction and the, the wind's never right. That's, that was, I'd rather let him walk away than to spook him, right? So, correct. um, correct. So a lot of these elk encounters we have, they know, I was I always wonder this. It's like, does that bull, he thinks I'm another asshole elk, I think, to a certain degree, um, as long as you don't smell me or see me. And I, so I try to make, I will, I will kind of play that. I might play on the earth, on the edge of that. He might get to see me versus, He will not ever get to smell me unless the wind just completely changes and screws me up. But, um, so a lot of times we'll have encounters, but we won't spook them out. They just kind of like, yeah, I don't like the situation and they leave. Cool. Sometimes I'll pursue. Sometimes they are like, I'm leaving that one alone. We'll catch him on another day.
1: Okay. Now. Okay. So maybe the
0: winds will be better tomorrow. Maybe he'll be in a different position on the mountain. Are you going to,
1: if you're, if you decide to go back in after that bowl, you started off with your tradition, your, your standard recipe, if you will, your standard strategy, and he wants nothing to do with it. Are you going back in then on a different day or a different time and, and going back with that same strategy to see if he's receptive to that strategy then, or are you modifying your strategy and trying something else?
0: I'll modify it. I made like, okay, let's say I use this route route to get in there. I'm probably not going to go back in the same route I went in and came out of last time. I'm going to come in a different angle because maybe once I've got in on that way, I've learned some things about the terrain, right? That's a terrible place to try to call in an elk, number one. And over on the other side is really good. So we're going to come in at a complete different direction and try some different things. What did he react to last time? He reacted really well bugles or he really reacted really well to cow calls we'll start there on that we'll just look we'll, we'll tippy toe our way in until we figure out what he likes and then we'll kind of like you know we'll, we'll tippy toe around like like the vote my calling until i figure out what he likes and then it's like okay now what's our approach how do we get close to where it's advantageous to me yeah he's on the move He's, it's in the morning. He's in transition. He's on the move. Well, let's just let him get settled in somewhere. I'd, let, I'd rather let him get up into that, to his bedding area, because he's probably, you know, especially if it's a, a really nice herd bull, you know. Um, I feel like some of those herd bulls, they know they're king, king shit, right? They have an ego. They're like, yeah, I've beat the crap out of everybody around here. I've got the cows, so I'm going to try to get up there and get in his bedding area right at the edge of it to call him out. Um, either to like make him or aggravate him enough, like he either gets pissed or he just like, who the hell is out here, you know, one or the other. Um, So I feel like if I try to like, if I try to get the bull to play my game, I do better. But if I get sucked into his game, like, okay, I want to do this and that, but then pretty soon I'm playing his game. I don't usually win that one. Interesting. I feel, like I feel like there's two different ways here. Like if he if I can get him to play my game, I usually win. But if I play his, I I, I usually never. It's if, if I'm more proactive and get him to play on my 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 terms, it's good. Yeah,
1: if, if you can find the bull that wants to bite and play your game. See, I'm yeah. just the opposite. I I would much rather play his game. Oh, yeah. Because however he however he wants it, that's fine. You want me to to tickle your feet with a little feather. Hey, sure. I'll, I'll play that little tickle game. If you want, if you needed something a little bit more aggressive, that's fine. But I always, I I will usually default into playing, trying to figure out what they want to start. And that's why I, you know, for me, I I start low and, and, you know, build up on the intensity and and how I engage it. But um, just out of curiosity, growing up, well, when you're in the areas that you've been able to hunt in, and over the years, what, uh, what are we taught? Obviously we, we can go look at you, the, the YouTube channel, you know, the YouTube videos that you've got posted on there, but growing up and, and through your experience, what are we talking about as far as an age class? Do you know, as far as what, bull, what, what's the age class of the bulls that you guys get to normally chase up there?
0: Uh, it varies, right? So if I'm in Idaho. So, if this was pre-wolves, um, there were bulls there, I would assume, would be 10, 12 years old.
1: Okay. So, you've got some older age class, older yeah. age mix up there. Yeah. And were, um, did you guys, and back in the day, I think I know the answer, but did you guys give a rip whether or not it was the 10-year-old bull, herd bull, or whether it was, you know, the three-year-old, two-and-a-half, three-and-a-half-year-old satellite bull? The first,
0: the first legal elk's getting it, right? <laughs> it, here comes a spike. Surprise, mother trucker. Land.
1: <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> I got you. <laughs> if, if a bull, if an elk comes into, into rage right now, what weapons do you have at your disposal? Surprise, motherfucker. <laughs> you exactly. <Exactly>. got it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know,
0: I got a, I got a whole rafter full of,
1: of spikes and rag wounds, man. There you, I, there you go. All right. Well, no, that's fair enough because there's, a, and, and that's the thing. Um, it's not a dick measuring thing. It's just it's a there's a lot of people out there that I mean hell, how many times did I give Aaron or just a rash and a crap Aaron Snyder because he was the same way. I mean, he just could not keep it in the pants. He he <laughs> could not keep an arrow in the quiver. It's like, dude, yeah. you are in this premier you're in a good unit and you sent me pictures earlier this summer of 380 plus bulls on the summer range. You know where that giant bull is. And you're you're literally 15 minutes into opening morning and you've got a four by five on the ground. I'm like, what are you doing? It's like, uh, come on, man. And it's not like that's his first elk. That's his 101st elk. It's like, come on, all right, stop. So I mean, and I did. I I used to give him a ration of crap about the fact that the best thing that he ever did for his quote unquote trophy hunting was pick up the the stick bow because yeah. It, it made him, he couldn't take the 80 yard, you know, bomb and just zip it anymore. It, it, he had to just take his time and right. he got to encounter a lot of different stuff. But, you know, that's the thing when, when you're elk hunting out there, there's a lot of people that just, uh, and it, again, this is, everybody has a different value set, um, especially for people that are just still trying to get their first elk or they're still, uh, you know, they, they, their, their elk numbers are still single digits who gives a flip and rip. It, I'll tell people to this day, yes, I prefer to go after a four-year-old bull or better, yeah. but push comes to shove. As I, if I get to play the game, I get down to the last few days of my hunt. I'll shoot a 260 five by five, six by six every year. And not bad an eye. I, I will, I will shoot that every day. Now I, and I've shot five by fives before they, for me, it needs to be a bigger, an older age class bull, but that's just where I'm at these days. Right. But I mean, so that's the thing is a lot of times, you know, some of these strategies people are to, and we're kind of getting out of it. Well, not that we're getting out of it, but you know, we, people talk about herd bulls versus satellite bulls and engaging, you know, different, man, there's a lot of people that don't give a rip. If, if that right. bull comes in, it's, it's done toast and kudos. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Because, and this is what Jay and I were talking about. It's all about reps, getting reps, how many, getting in front of elk, getting elk to engage you, having those call-ins, getting that feedback. to so, oh, this worked. Oh, that didn't. But then, ha- but having an elk standing in front of you, man, that's going to start changing mindsets. And and, and now you got to be able to keep your composure. Okay. You finally have an elk that wants to play your game. He's finally coming in oh shit, this is real. Like this is happening right now. I, oh crap, arrow knocked. I, uh, where's my set? Oh, uh, I got to draw. When do I draw? Where am I going to hold? How am I going to shoot? All that comes down to having reps and more and more reps on having elk in front of you is, is what you need to do. So no, I mean, over time now, what have you seen up in Idaho now that wolves and now that there's more hunting pressure, are you guys st- seeing a, a younger age class on your herd or is it still pretty diverse?
0: So what my trail cameras tell me, uh, you know, it kind of ebbs and flows a uh, couple, three years ago in one of the areas, you know, there, there were some good up and coming bulls, you know, they were probably four and a half years old. They weren't, there were no big honkers. Right. Um, but I haven't ran trail cameras in there for a while. I'm going to try to get some in there this year, but I feel like if those bulls made it, oh yeah, there's going to be some really good bulls. Cause that was about three years ago or, or better. And I feel like there's going to be some really good bulls in some of those places. Um, a lot of bulls, I don't think hunters kill them. The success rate in these areas are, are terrible just because of the terrain and how thick it is. The rifle hunting is like trying to find a needle in a haystack. Um, it's thick Nasty country. Uh, usually rains all October. Um, it's it's really tough hunting. Do you um, do
1: you know what uh, does the state have good data on? Do you know what the bull to cow ratio is in those areas?
0: They, they, they don't. They hmm. they did a an aerial survey in a lot of these areas, but about once every ten years. Hmm. Okay. Especially in the wolf country, you know, all the North Idaho stuff. They didn't do any aerial surveys for. I don't know. It might've been 10 years, maybe, maybe not quite that long, but it was a long time um, because the last one they did, it was terrible. Um, They counted in these two units, um, they counted 520 elk or 502 elk or something. in these two giant units in the most rugged, in the, in the units in Idaho that uh, at one time back in the eighties had more elk in it than, than anywhere else in the United States. And then now it got down to five hundred. They counted, and then like very few bulls. So then they didn't do any more aerial surveys for a long yeah, time. Yeah, right. Um, but sometimes but they don't keep to know. Yeah,
1: Some, sometimes you don't want to know what you don't want to know.
0: <laughs> Idaho fishing game they operate on harvest uh, statistics and results. That's how they they model all their game plans by um, harvest results, okay. uh, whether it's whitetails mule deer. Um, elk. They they started doing um, camera traps. You know, they put in uh, uh, cameras all over the place. They do. They I can't remember how many they said they did. These are they're doing a whitetail study, and it's a, f- a huge amount of cameras. And rather than to be going off by motion detection, they will go off every so like on a timer. Oh, yeah. All yeah, of yeah. them go off at the same time. Yep. That way, they make sure they're not getting the same deer on this camera and that camera and that camera. And then are they using bait stations or salts? I mean, what are they doing? No, they're just putting them up on likely likely places. Um, but a lot of the goodness gracious,
1: the, you'd think that you, you'd have to have some serious, you'd have to have a shit ton of cameras out there. And a hell of a lot of pictures in order to get enough data that corroborates how many animals. I mean, you're talking about just a a random flash in the night on whether or not there's a deer in the camp. Right, right.
0: And I I think, I don't think they're using like humans to go through the data. I think they're using some kind of algorithm. uh, Yeah, that's going to identify. And they were talking about like even bucks and like mature bucks and like try to go out, like have some kind of a, recognition software that would would calculate these things um but i haven't talked to them for a while about that but yeah it's weird but anyway that's that's they don't they don't do a real great job of you know aerial surveys and whatnot like north idaho it's it's very dense country i mean they, you could count you probably miss a lot of elk that you don't count you know yeah you just can't see them but.
1: no it's it just yeah it, i've heard and you you tell me it seems like the elk are kind of starting to make a bounce back up, you know, even in the wolf areas there, there's, yeah. we, we talked about that last time a little bit about policy and just some of the, the incentives on wolf hunts and that type of stuff. but it seems like yeah. the elk have adapted. They've, they've learned to change their ways a little bit and be a little bit more cagey mm-hmm. uh, and, and get around them a little bit.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. They, they, they live in, in rougher places than they used to. Um They know how to, you know, react when wolves are around. Uh, But I think, you know, there's, there's not been big growth on numbers, but, you know, I think they're coming back a little bit, little by little, you know, it's been a big help that the trappers have been able to knock them down, you know, keep, keep the numbers from growing, you know, keep, keep them from growing out of, out of control. They're like, you know, keeping like a. A hand on the lid, right? There's Yeah, yeah. You know, Every
1: now and they squeeze up a little bit, but we're yeah. we're trying to trying to keep it, it just a little bit under control.
0: Yeah, they're not they're not going to like decrease the number of wolves. They're just going to keep them from growing out of control.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, man, I appreciate your your time tonight, um, man. Your perspective, because um, there was a couple of things that I think are are key. that I hope people picked up and Jay and I talked about this in in, in one other little thing when Jay and I spoke and I think he made a good point and it's not to be critical or just demeaning for cruelty's sake. But the reality is, is there's like you said, and I laughed because this happened with a buddy of mine. Well, the one guy, Larry, he, his buddy killed a three forty giant anyway that's a different that's a different story for a different day literally walking down the trail hold a hold a primo's mouth call out i mean literally it was still in the package he's like oh. <laughs> pulled it out pulled it out first time he put it in his mouth calls his bull just runs him over sticks him at like 10 yards 342 oh. yeah just yeah just, just giant yeah like i said there's there's more of a story to that because i'm sitting out anyway 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 i don't want to go down that rabbit a hole but what you said about, you know, somebody just grabs a bugle and, and decides to practice while they're driving in the truck on the way to Elk Camp. I mean, and, you know, Jay made the point of there's a lot of people out there that like to, to choose a bugling strategy because it just seems like the sexy way to go. But there's a difference between what you can do with a bugle and the realism uh, a Jason Phelps can do with the realism. Uh, a Corey Jacobson can do with the realism, and it doesn't even matter whether or not you guys are competition callers or or not. I mean, obviously, when you're in the competition world, you you're gonna have to practice. You're gonna have to get good, if not no other reason you want to compete with all the other guys that you're gonna be in there in the in the arena with. But there's a difference in the sound quality and the difference in the in the the skill set between what you guys are doing and some of the more successful, those people that utilize a bugling strategy. Number one, I, I, I'm going to go back to what you said. It might be an aggressive strategy, but it's not a reckless strategy. I think that was a great distinction. Yeah. It's target. It's, it's very purposeful. You, you, there's a, there's a, there's a rhyme and reason for it. And there's a, there's a, a strategy behind it. And, tactics, if you will, on how you move across the landscape. Now, maybe that doesn't show up maybe that doesn't get fully articulated and, um, showcased in maybe some of the YouTube videos that you, cause you're, you know, there's a lot of stuff that hits the editing floor, right? You just can't make them three hours long. <laughs> that's right. That, yeah, that's right. Um, so some of that doesn't come across, but it, you can have that type of strategy, but you don't need to have a reckless strategy. Number one, that was awesome. Number two, if you want to be considered an actual elk on the, on the mountainside, you're going to need to sound like an actual elk on the mountainside. Oh yeah. And, and that is another one that. Um, well, I got a big rub with that Go for last it.
0: year in Idaho. Um, I heard more shitty elk collars than I've ever heard before. And I'm not trying to, toot my horn and say, I'm the great elk caller. I mean, there. in this day and age, there's no secret what an elk sounds like. Shouldn't okay? be. No, there's plenty of how to use an elk call information, free stuff on YouTube. There's how many game call companies in the freaking elk hunting world, tons. Like take your pick. Yep. All of them have a, probably a, a call that you could use Proficiently. Right. Correct. Um, but man, I've heard last fall, I heard some just terrible calling that and to Jay's point, like if you want to use a, a, a bugling type of operation to call in and try to hunt elk, you should probably sound like an elk. Right. Yeah. You
1: should, if you can't bugle good, you should not use that at all. And and here's the thing that I've I've hammered before, and I've got hours worth of video on my website about it. Bulls make a whole shit ton. Excuse me. They make a bunch of different vocalizations. You don't have to, you know, again, this is, and I will, I will go toe to toe ideologically with anybody about whether a bull's coming in, looking for a fight or whether there's a challenge. We can have that. We can save that debate for a different day. Right. But, that's only a subset of what they do. You you don't have to if you can't be if you want to be oh I want to be aggressive okay that's fine you you don't have to go all in I mean there's a lot of subtle stuff that you can do you're you're using bull vocalizations you're using a bull vocalization strategy you can even even push the envelope and be a more aggressive smart you know wisely strategically be aggressive with a strategy but if you're not really good at replicating a, a full-on bugle maybe don't do it and and jay said that you know, again you'll you know folks will hear this is you know and i think jay had a point and i i actually hadn't thought of it in the fact that you know when you're using a cow calling strategy or even in this case, let's take a bull vocalization strategy, but we're using, you know, moans, groans, and huffs, and maybe chuckles, or, you know, these other sounds that bulls do. The vocalization itself is a very short duration. There's not a lot of vocal, uh, of, of audible information, and I do talk about this in my educational stuff, about the amount of information that is relayed in a vocalization, the shorter the vocalization, the less information is there to analyze. Okay. So they either have to fall back on their hardwiring of, oh, that was what that was, and boom, that's what that means. Or in the case of bulls, <clears throat> the shorter the vocalization, the less you do, the less information you're giving that other individual to essentially audibly assess you. How much of a threat are you? Who are you? Do I recognize who you are? Do I know who you are? Or you sound completely different. And and how do you sound? And are, do you sound aggressive? Do you sound confident? Do you sound equally as good as I or do you sound more intimidating than I do? So, the longer you spend blowing on a bugle, making a, a sound, the more length of time and the more sound that animal has to analyze you with. Yeah. And, and they so can when you recognize
0: you as a hunter,
1: yes, or as I know, that's right. Or I didn't have enough to. How many? How many times? Us as hunters, we hear a bugle, quote unquote, air quote, oh a bugle in the distance, and we're like, "Was that a bull or was that a hunter?" I can't tell. I need to you get close. Tell. To I need. Yeah, I need more. What do you need? You need more. I want more. I need more. I needed. I needed to do it again. I need to be able to hear more. Oftentimes we'll hear that little high pitch whistle and that's it. And we're like, yeah. uh, I need to hear. And this is what I told Jay uh, or what Jay and I talk about. I almost don't even care about what the front end sounds like. I want to hear when that bull or person is done with their bugle. What does it sound like when he equalizes his lungs? Yeah.
0: That drop off as it drops. Can I off? hear
1: that? Can I hear that? Oh, <gasps> Can I hear that lung? Can I hear those lungs? That one right there, I'm like, boom, that's a bull or that's a hunter because you can have a hunter do really good on the front end and do a great whistle, but they'll never achieve that level of realism on that deep end. And especially we were talking about chuckles too. Same thing, man. Oh yeah. I Give me a, and I did, I said, I told him, give me five bulls on the mountainside. And if if one of them, all he does is just a oh, 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 oh. done. Chrissy's out. I'm that's I, I, there's no other bull. I'm, 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 I'm on that bull. I will go to that, that bull that just wants to chuckle. I mean, so there's so many different vocalizations that people can use. If you want to use a bull vocalization strategy, you don't have to bugle, right? But man, if you're going to go down that road,
0: it has to sound authentic, though. It can't sound like you're like abusing a puppy. Um, there's man, I heard some stuff last year that had that made no, it didn't sound like one of those elk that you're like, wow, that's a weird sound sounding elk. It was yep. like, my God, what kind of noise are they trying to make with that call? Yeah,
1: like uh, to the point where you almost want to run down the mountain and be like, did you get let me help you just for a second? And then I'm out and then throw it off the cliff. And and again, okay, and to. Dirk, to your point, man, obviously you got the the Elk Collective. I've got Row Hunting Resources, the Elk Hunting Institute, the Elk Module. I mean, if you want to sit and listen to elk, I've got hours and hours of just elk on camera, screen, just doing elk. You can sit there for hours and just watch elk do elk things untouched by humans. They, they, you, there you go. You can sit there and practice until you, it, you get good. But I, I, I have to agree with you. Now, the caveat I, or the qualification I will give, we all started, we all started off at beginner level yep. and we all sucked. And yep. to this day, I will still be out in the woods and I will flub a call. I will just be like, how, how did I get, you know, a mouth or a, excuse, an open read style call and I'll, I'll stick the thing and just, and then it's like, come on, Chris, you've done how many, come on, you know better. So we, all those things could, that happens. If you're a beginner, if you're listening to this or watching this or whatever, and you're just starting out, we're not beating you over the head. All we're saying is, is we're hopefully giving you encouragement to say, okay, we all started there. You're all going to start somewhere, but don't start a week before season. Exactly. Unless, unless all of a sudden you are a Dirk Derman, you're like, holy shit, this is awesome. I'm going to the store. I'm buying a bow. I'm buying some arrows and I'm gonna buy some calls and woo-hoo, we're going out to the woods. And Okay, fine. <laughs> I will, I will cut you some slack. And quite honestly, if that's who you are and you're that new and we trip across the, the same trail, I'm probably going to end up helping you. I'll be like, all right, cool. This is going to be fun. Let's go. Cause at this <laughs> point, I don't care if we call in a little, little four by four like this, I'll be like, shoot that sucker. Just let, let's go. So
0: I'm gonna give him my easy sucker and say, "Here you go."
1: There, there you go. There you go. Great little sales plug there. Yeah, um, but no, seriously, we're we're gonna we're gonna help you out. But the thing is, is I'm seeing it too, where I either experience the same guys on the mountain in some of the areas that I routinely hunt, I will see them year after year. Man, there's no progression in skill set whatsoever. Now. Okay, this is where I will also okay, let me uh, I know we're we're I don't I hope we're not dragging on. I know this is going long, but that's fine. It's a fun conversation. I hope it's all, it's all right with you. Good. Yeah. The reality is and and I think maybe you were like me when when you were growing up. So I was kind of the same way. I was always in the woods. I was either in the creek fishing or I was down in the woods with my uncles. I, my my grandfather was a game warden. He's the one that kind of got me in, you know, really kind of seated the outdoors, and then I grew up with my uncles uh that were very close to the same age as I I was just because the way the family dynamics are. And and we just we the family farm. It was a dairy farm, but there was, you know, rolling hills, agriculture, and then woodlots and the pond and creek. I mean, it's just I, I just spent every waking moment outside that I could. I was a I and legitimately not patting myself on the back, but I I am a very I'm a very good natural mimic. If I hear something, yeah. I can rep- I can reproduce it. Me too. Um, and I I will. The like best- people's
0: voices that have a weird voice. I'm always getting myself in trouble by copying people's voices.
1: Oh, see. So, oh man, see, we can go down rabbit hole. So I was born in Kentucky and I spent the first five, six years of my life in Kentucky. So I learned to talk in Kentucky. Oh, yeah. I had, you want to talk about a Southern accent? I had a Southern wrong. accent. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then my family, I moved up to upstate New York, not a Southern accent, right? Yeah. So I lost my Southern accent fairly quickly. But, dude, to this day, I have to be careful if I'm around someone from the South. <laughs> Here it
0: comes.
1: (laughs) It just comes out, man. And it, and it, I've caught myself before because I'm like, dude, they're going to think I'm just making fun of them. Right. Right. No, it's just, I can, I can pick it up and I can roll with it. Um, I, so one of the, one of my, I, um, Jim Anderson, um, mentors growing up, uh, friend of the family, but he was huge birder, just loved birding you know getting the life lists and the bird lists and everything else out and it, you know and he had a farm awesome place great he had a pond that was the best bluegill pond i mean i'm talking bluegills dude like slab bluegills you caught these bluegills by using frogs they were <laughs> taking they were taking frogs off of the surface like bass these bluegills were huge this pond was awesome anyway i digress but anyway so we would go out in and i'd go birding with them. And, you know, you'd hear birds singing or whatever. And I would just start whistling. I would just try to mimic them. And I'll never forget the day that I was over. I was off by, I don't know, 50, 60 yards from him and my dad. And I'm just whistling like the birds I'm hearing. Yeah. And all of a sudden, Jim's like, oh, there's a chickadee. Ch- there's a chickadee over there. <laughs> and I'm like, where's the chickadee? Because I'm, I'm like, I'm whistling a the chickadee. chickadee. I'm whistling a chickadee. He's like, yeah. no, no. And so he comes over and he's picking the part. He's picking. He's like, I just heard him. I'm like, like, where did you hear it? He's like, it was right over here. I'm like, you mean this? And so I whistle. <laughs> Man, I I mean, he just looked at me. He was like, now he's looking at his daily list. He's like, okay, well, which birds were you whistling? <laughs> he's like, I'm, I'm writing down that I'm hearing this, you know. <laughs> Chickadees uh, and cardinals and and robins and I'm like, oh yeah, I was I was doing all those. <laughs> He's like something uh, you just so anyway. I've always been a good natural mimic. I've talked about the fact you know growing in high school uh, through school. I played the violin. I was second chair violin, and my buddy and I would just memorize the music. And there was times where literally, I, I to this day I can't read music to say. I mean, I can read music, but I suck at it. But yeah, if you yeah. if I hear it I, I'll, I can I can I can reproduce it. that's not a problem. No. Now I say that because man you have that ability you've got a leg up you, you've got a leg up on your initial ability to sound like an when you want to learn to elk call or if you want to learn to turkey call or a goose call, whatever it doesn't matter you have a leg up because your ear is programmed and your brain, is programmed to not only identify the accurate sounds and then have the muscle ability to, for your body to recreate those sounds. The, the problem is there's some people that don't. There, oh, yeah. there, there's some people that can't t- carry a tune in a bucket. Right. Don't and, they, and they don't know that. In their, They hear something and when they sing or they want to whistle or whatever, when they vocalize, their brain tells them, this is awesome. And it's not, Yo,
0: yeah. it's not even close. Usually not awesome. <laughs> no.
1: So there's some significant hardwiring differences there on abilities of people in, in their abilities to reproduce sound. Now, right. with that being said, that doesn't mean you can't train your ear. That does right. not mean you cannot train yourself in reproducing it. So if you're the type, you've got to have two things. One, surround yourself with friends that will actually give you constructive criticism. Yeah. And that that you'll listen to. Right. You know, if someone says, dude, that sounds like shit. <laughs> okay. They might <laughs> be ribbing you. They might be, you know, just giving you a ration of crap, but they might be like 80% of that joke is like legit. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it, yeah one of the best ways that you can perfect yourself and you correct me if i'm wrong record yourself video yourself or record yourself so you can hear it and then go to a website like mine go to or go to youtube and 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 just play elk sounds and then play yourself back don't don't make the sound while you're listening to the elk and go okay that's awesome no record yourself making that sound yep. and then play it side by side and then adjust accordingly
0: right And I'll take that a step further. Uh, make sure when you record yourself, you video record yourself and audio of course um, because you can you can see it's like it's like gymnastics when you're in school trying to learn how to do a somersault, right? I, I did it. I did it. No, you didn't do it at all. I mean, if you, if I could have seen the video of myself trying to do a cartwheel, yeah, I would have seen quite as plain as day. I didn't do a cartwheel, but in my mind I did it. That's right. I think the same thing with elk calling like, no, no, I made the bugle. Well, no, you didn't. Well, there. like, I do a lot of these elk educational thing where I teach people that never had an elk call before teach them how to call and some of them you know they're they're staring in this big blank room or they're looking at another person they can't see what they're doing and it's hard for them to hear the feedback of what they're doing so i'm like video yourself seeing what you're doing and a lot of times you can you can be like oh god what oh huh. yeah why am I making that face or why? Oh, I don't even have my lips around the tube or my, my jaw is not dropping as I let off on the call or, or whatever. These little small nuances have built, been making a better sound and call. Um, and I don't even notice, notice I'm myself doing that until I've recorded yeah. myself doing them. And then I'm like, oh yeah, that makes sense why it sounds this way or that way. Um, So yeah, video record yourself. And, and a lot of times that, that will be one of the biggest things you're like, oh, I got to quit doing this weird physicality while I'm making the the sound.
1: Yep. Yep. No, absolutely. Um, Obviously everybody has their, you know, their opinion on the, the Primo stuff, especially the blue reed. Uh, (laughs) But that's, that's one where absolutely it was, it was instantaneous. People would try to to make a sound and they could get a sound out of it. It would sound horrible. And that was absolutely like, nope. Your lips are wrong. No, it's not. I'm I'm standing here looking at you, and you your lips are tight, they're pursed, your jaw's clenched. You know, no, that's not how you engage that. And I, I guarantee it's the same thing with your external read style. You know, mouthpieces. Yep. You need to you need to engage that thing with some with some finesse. It's it's not just I'm gonna bite down and just blow and woo. And that's the other thing too that people need to understand. And I think it was good that you know, maybe some of the videos that you guys are doing, there's this idea that, you know, when you watch a bull bugle, especially if a bull is just fired up. And I mean, like he's doing a full-on dominant bugle, just that's what he's doing. He's just I mean, he's just putting everything into it and he's yeah. just screaming. And so what do people do? They're like, I have to and just go in that bugle. No, no, we're no. doing it. Correct. You actually can come at that about half of the throttle that you just put in there mm-hmm. and get 99% more accuracy on what you're, rep- you're, you're, you're reproducing. So that's the thing is just because what you hear and you see an elk do does not mean you're having to do this, the same thing. It's a completely different system. We're using an artificial reed through an artificial tube. And we got a hell of a lot smaller lungs. We're not, no, you, and, and you don't have to cram the tube to your mouth and just like bust your teeth out. There's some, there's some finesse there to where you, there's videos where you can watch you where, I mean, you may be bugling. You're bugling into the tube, but your that tube is barely touching your lips at yeah. times where you're, you're just casting the sound into the tube. You're not cramming the tube in your face and, and trying to just uh, through the tube. You know, that's what, again, this is where watching people and analyzing stuff and then watching what you do, man, goes a long way. Well, people
0: say, oh, man, you make it look like it's effortlessly. I'm like, well, I'm not putting a lot of effort into it. I'm not, I'm not like you, to to your point, I'm not like straining everything I have. I'm just, I'm controlling my tongue. I'm controlling air pressure. I'm just, you know, keeping it just moderate. It's like trying to drive around with your foot all the way on the accelerator, you correct? Like maybe a crotch rocket or something with the <laughs> full yeah. gas. I mean, you yeah. can't control that.
1: That's right. That's right. That's right. It, no, it, I. So, I mean, there's a. I mean, I, all right. I've, I've kept you plenty long <laughs> you enough. We can talk work. about this
0: for
2: hours. No,
1: I, but uh, that's the thing is is you know, it all comes down to education and, and getting people to be to, hopefully. I want people to be better because I want them to have a higher level of success on the landscape, number one. And then number two, the other thing that I've joked about, and again, here we are, the joke 80% of the 80 to 90% of this joke is, is legit in the fact that I would rather be on the mountain or in a valley with 10 other guys or gals that are good, that know what they're doing, that they're skilled, yeah because you guys everybody can work around each other and and not screw everything up but you can have one person go through that valley or or, or across that mountain and just blow everything out right so a, a rising tide lifts all boats if we yeah. again and i and i and i mentioned this earlier as skilled as you are and knowing what you want to do and how you execute yourself in your strategies across the landscape people have cast the stones at you saying, well, he, you're the Doug Flutie to my hunting party. You know, right. you, you're, you're the guy walking across the landscape, screwing the hell out of everything. So we are all someone else's asshole. You know what I mean? <laughs> that, that, we, we are all someone yeah. else's Doug Flutie where son of a bitch, there's, so, there's somebody over there hunting. Yeah. Well, when I'm looking at someone else going shit, here comes another headlamp up the valley. Yeah, well, my headlamp at some point might be that headlamp that someone else looks at and is like, shit, someone else is coming up the valley. Yep, Yep. but if we have a skill set and we know what the hell we're doing, why we're doing it. Again, Dirk and I might have a different philosophy and where we came from and how we got hardwired and the recipe we like to use for our success. Obviously, he's successful. Obviously, I'm successful have been successful there's there's a reason for it if you are skilled you can all get along and actually function on the landscape and the more skilled people we have on the map the less disruption we're having on all the uh, because again yeah if you fill your tag great you filled your tag and guess what you're out you're out of my hair you're out you're out i now you're gone So go ahead, fill your tag. I want you to fill your tag, please, dear Lord, fill your freaking tag and get the hell off the mountain so I can go play. Right. Right. So I I want us all to be successful. And I think these type of discussions are, are a, they're fun, but B, I hope they, I hope people find them educational and I hope people listen to them. And then in some way, shape or form, figure out how to execute it within their own strategies and and, um, efforts and maybe make it work for them. Yeah, find an aha
0: moment. That's like, oh, I get it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I can, I can do this or I can fix that to, to where I'm, I'm better. And cool. I'm, I'm here to say I'm, I listen to a lot of different people, and I'm not too proud to say I couldn't learn something from Chris Rowe or whoever. I'm like, I'm all ears. I'm, I want to get better. I want to be yeah. a better elk hunter every year.
1: We're not all. I mean, that's in the same thing with Jay talking with him. I mean, his experience from Arizona. Uh, Colorado man, you know, especially Arizona and then managing in Colorado. And then he's got some opportunity or he's had some opportunities to go hunt in some really awesome places in Montana. Um, The stuff in Arizona, the stuff in Colorado, it's all right, right. I mean, right in his wheelhouse on his, his, his fundamental core philosophy on calling. But you know, when he got to Montana, those bulls were responding way better to a bugling strategy than a cow calling strategy to where they, I mean, he had to switch gears and he was like, oh man, I'm okay. Now for 20 some years, I've been in this drive lane and now I've got to, I've got to go over here. And you know, that's the thing is you're not always going to run into the same animals. You're not always going to run into the same age class, sex ratio, hunter pressure. Yeah. You know, so the more tools you have in your toolbox and the skill set to use those tools, I don't know, the better you're going to be.
0: Absolutely, can't agree more.
1: Cool, man. I'll cut you loose. I see your wife is <laughs> shutting down. it slowly by slowly, all the lights are going off, and now she's like, "Dude, come to bed, man." So <laughs> I will, I will cut you loose. And until next time, thank you, man, for coming on. I appreciate you having a, being willing to have a, a, a good conversation. And um, yeah.
0: Yeah. Anytime. I'm always All right, yeah.
1: like, if I, if I come up with any more rabbit holes, I want to go down with you. I'll give you a call. Let's do it. All right, brother. Have a great night. Thanks brother. Yep. You too. All right. Bye.